Podmortem would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is an independent production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers, and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is currently accepting scripts and treatments. Both William and Zena Rush are also available via email or Zoom to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers, free of charge. Their information will be made available in the show notes. Original Cinematic has multiple exciting projects on the horizon. Their next film, Immersion, is slated for release in early 2024. Upcoming films, Fetish, Sweetener, and Run, and their documentary, Drag, The Most Targeted Art Form, are anticipated for 2024 releases as well. Their new award-winning film, Group, is currently on the festival circuit, and very generously, Original Cinematic will be providing a link for patrons to screen the film on Zoom. It is truly an honor to partner with Original Cinematic, and we can't thank them enough for their contribution to our show. And now... Back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations! Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter-Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from the Garouge Plantation, discussing the 2006 supernatural horror film, Stay Alive. This film was directed by William Brent Bell from a screenplay by Bell and Matthew Peterman, utilizing an interesting premise and telling it in a refreshingly modern way for the time. This film would achieve modest box office success despite a poor reception from critics. Featuring familiar faces and touching on fascinating historical lore through its own interpretations and creative licenses, Stay Alive offers a memorable slice of early 2000s horror. This film was suggested to us by friends of the show, Brittany Ramatar, Amy Dixon, Blaine Hancock, and Topher Williams. We want to thank each and every one of them for their continued support of the show, as well as this suggestion. So... Stay Alive. What were your first impressions on the film? So I remember watching this when I was a kid, and uh, I was like, man, this is John Travolta's great. I All was right. like, oh, this isn't staying alive. No, sir. Oh, I, I'm done. I don't want to watch this. Your notes are... You I was going yeah, like, to the wrong movie. You throw your notes in the trash. Uh, yeah. Can we record next week? <laughs> um, no, I... <laughs> I had never seen this movie. I didn't know about this movie, and I had told your sister that I, for whatever reason, I kept thinking this was dead alive. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, she's like, no, 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 stay alive. I was like, okay. So I started watching it, and I was like, D- I don't know what this is. <laughs> um, so this was a brand new watch, brand new hearing about it, whatever. I was like, okay, cool. 06. This came out in 06. I think this came out, uh, T, we talked a little earlier. You said March of 06. That's right. Uh, so that was a month before I went to prison. 
So I was gone. I don't even, I didn't know. So even, so that whole little void in my time that I was gone, I didn't know anything about this or none of that. I didn't hear anybody review it. I, so this was just lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea and premise of this movie is really cool. So hearing about it, I was like, oh man, I wish I would have known about this earlier because, you know, video game this and that. I was like, this is really cool. So watching the movie, um, <laughs> that was not cool. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a lot of cool ideas. I do enjoy, um, I guess, what's trying to be told in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the execution. Uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of problems that the movie has. Um, I know there's an extended cut, and I know you'll get into that later, T. Yes. Um, we watched the theatrical version. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if the uncut version helps or not, but this one was a little, uh, I mean, <laughs> I think, I think you might add maybe half a point. Okay. I okay. think maybe half a point. Well, depending. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk. But, but yeah, the, I enjoy the idea. There is some hits in this movie and there is some cool stuff, but, but I feel like anything that is cool, that's there, any ideas that are there get buried on top of the piles of stuff that doesn't work. Not only narratively, the characters, the like a lot of it, I was just like, can I reset this or change the game? Or <laughs> you take it like, out, blow yeah, it. I was like, well, <laughs> this isn't working right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I remember we really liked this yeah. when we were younger, but I haven't seen it since then. And so thinking back, like even thinking back, you're like, okay, that was probably cheesy. Like, yeah. From my lens as a whole ass adult but it's probably gonna be cheesy but i can understand that because like uh we were talking last night babe and i was telling your sister i love can't hardly wait and i'm Mm -hmm. sure if somebody watched now they'd be like that's cringe as fuck dude Mm -hmm. i yeah but i watched this shit a lot as a kid so i can understand the nostalgia for this movie yeah but not having that i was like god well (laughs) i i thought that the nostalgia would carry me a little bit further than it did i'll say that I did forget most of it. I remember, obviously, like, it might have even been the tagline. I remember it being in the trailer when it was like, you die in the game, you die in real life. And But even as you watch the movie, that's not always true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, that started to piss me off a little bit. <laughs> but it does break its own rules. It is, the cast is so, so very and deeply 2006 and that's not a strike against it for me no this it is so aggressively 2006 that it's almost like somebody today wrote a movie based in 2000 like (laughs) it's like we're just gonna cram in all the cringy shit that we said the cringy shit that we wore we need a manic pixie dream girl (laughs) like it's 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 a lot Mm -hmm. and again even with all of that some movies that adds to it for me because it's like it's a time capsule almost yeah this one the narrative the plot the characters there's one character that i fucking was mad every time they were there um (laughs) and they're supposed to be endearing yeah that character they're okay (laughs) (laughs) i missed that part Mm -hmm. um but again it's just like i said a lot of the rules are being broken This movie or a movie with this premise should have been made for somebody like me. I would say for all three of us. Yeah. I love games. I love horror games. I love history. I love dark history. 
all of those things coming together should be amazing. Mm -hmm. But you're breaking rules of the video game. Mm -hmm. You're saying things wrong about games that I love. You are changing, (laughs) (laughs) changing history to fit a story that you don't need to be telling. Yeah. It's just, and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, what did this start off as? Did this snowball into a thing where you get to the end and you're like, what the fuck even is this? Or was this always like what it was? I don't know. Mm. I'm interested to to know what was cut from the extended version or the director's cut or whatever, because there were moments where I'm like, did I miss something? Because I don't know why this is happening right now. Well, there's, there's definitely one point in the movie where it feels like there's a missing reel. Yes. Yes. And that is explained in the director's cut. Okay. Okay. So So there are small things. I am excited to get to that. I will just sum it all up to say, because obviously we're going to talk about it a lot and we're going to dive into it. I will sum up my little impressions thing as just, this movie is not good, <laughs> but it is fun. Yeah, it is. And it is ridiculous in a very fun way because I had to pause it and laugh out loud a few times. Yeah, no, I and I knew, too, because she was working on it and I was in the living room because uh, we, you know, we do it separate because mm-hmm. we each work at our own pace. So I could hear her just fucking <laughs> laughing. <laughs> there were a few times that I was like, why is, what? Like, it, it's it's fun. It's fun. It is. But it, it to me, is not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I agree. I will say, so I do remember seeing this in theaters when it came out. Mm-hmm. Our mom took us with a couple of friends. It was me, Nay, these friends, and our mom sitting in the back of the theater on opening night. Yeah. Because we were seeing the trailers all on TV, the mm-hmm. TV spots, uh-huh. and it spoke to us directly. Yeah. It's literally a yes. group of friends playing a horror game that can kill you. Yes. Yeah. And what this- about that is not amazing? Yeah. yeah. And so we were so excited. I will say the theater experience was fucking terrible. <laughs> Because the they were there, and I, now I feel like an old man. But there, the, <laughs> but there were these kids up in the front row that were like running around and like yelling at the screen and everything. Yeah. So it's it kind of soured us on even going to opening nights of things. Yeah, but I feel like if anything like that happens with the movie you're excited about, yeah, that just yeah. kills that. Even so, and it did. Yeah. But I feel like even looking back, this is the exact type of movie that people would be showing their whole asses and acting stupid, <laughs> especially yeah. at that time. Yeah, but grow up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like don't though don't do yeah. it and that's the other thing that's the other aspect about this film that really does surprise me that allowed for something like that mm-hmm. is this film is rated PG-13 yes yeah. which is honestly very surprising because even in what we get in the theatrical cut it feels like an R-rated film mm-hmm. okay so I was a little confused and then the unrated cut obviously is the more R-rated version mm-hmm. so I'll discuss a little bit of the differences with that because there are a lot of scenes that are extended okay and then there is an entire subplot that is is just completely deleted huh so I, i'm very excited yeah. to hear about that and it helps explain a lot of it that i thought they were heading towards in the theatrical cut that they never get to okay okay but i will say 15 year old me enjoyed the hell out of this movie <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because again it's all there yeah. yeah like the ingredients are there to make just the most delectable soup yeah. it's yes. all there i thought two of the characters are very cool too 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be very clear. Very clear. And in all honesty, I still think one of the characters is very cool. The other character is only cool by virtue of who is playing I, him. Yeah. That, I completely yeah. That is it. Because if anybody else is playing this character, he's the most annoying he's person. Yeah. But the fact that it's Jimmy Simpson, we're like, all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'll allow it. Yeah. But um, again, like you both said, I love the idea. Mm-hmm. I love the premise. And that's really all I come away with it as an adult enjoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this idea, but it feels a lot like kind of wasted potential. Mm-hmm. I feel, and also one thing that I was thinking about a lot when I was watching this is the influence of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Just kind of told in a more modern 2006 kind of way. Yeah. Right. But I I don't know. It's it's so difficult because there is nostalgia tied up in it. Mm-hmm. But it is not enough to justify these narrative issues. Right. These character deficiencies. Yes. <laughs> these rushed, uh, I don't even know. It's like, uh, we'll get to yeah. it. But I'm like, you're <laughs> feeling that? Like, yeah. yeah oh, um, I'm turning French. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the thing is that I, I was very excited to revisit this film that I really enjoyed as a teenager. Mm-hmm. I was also very terrified to revisit this film yeah. yeah, because I didn't know how it would hold up. Yeah. And it is so aggressively 2006 that it is a little bit of, like you said, a time capsule. Yeah. And you feel it, but you also kind of like, I don't know. There's something about it to where it just does not allow for you to forgive it <laughs> yeah I, I think like you said it's it's almost like somebody now is writing something that happened back then it's just i but, don't know where the line is because some you look back and you're like oh remember when we had those phones yeah yeah like sometimes it's just like funny and then you move on this like you are there is no moving on like it's it's i i think for me i took it that way but the way i was like did you ever play video games before you made this that. or See, did you like did you have a group of friends that you hung out with and they were all these different personalities because like this seems kind of like you just threw some shit in a hat and pulled stuff out and made characters when i get to the production it might surprise you to learn the links that they went to regarding the video game portions stop it uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I think the thing for me is like it is still fun. Yeah, it is. It is a film that you watch and enjoy and that's it. Yeah, yep. that's it. Because and I think that's the other thing is that when you think about the story of Elizabeth Bathory, it is so rich, so dark, so interesting. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating to choose that for this film. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's probably one of the coolest things about it. Okay. But, but. <laughs> yeah. to get it so wrong to fit your story right, right. is a choice. Mm-hmm. But the things you get right are... They are cool. Yeah. yeah. But I, and I even can think of another monstrous figure that they could have used instead to fit their narrative better. Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger. <laughs> we'll, we'll, oh, okay. we'll get to it. We'll get to it. No, tell me right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we can get into a little bit of the production. It all starts with Bell and Peterman, who had worked together previously. And what they wanted to do with this film was create something very modern and of its time. Both. Check. Check. Yeah. So I read in the production notes that what they said is they wanted to combine, quote, the action and graphics of video games with the psychological thrills of the horror genre. 
Okay. And okay. again, they did that. Yeah. yeah. Is that why the movie's blue? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know it made me feel blue. <laughs> and that's, that's that's what it was supposed to be. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the other thing. They Eiffel 65'd me, but <laughs> they did. I it, that that's something that really really bothers me about this era of I would say film, but really horror film specifically. Yeah, yeah. Is the art of lighting fuck it yeah <laughs> like that's that's the mentality it feels like because they're yeah. like no dude we'll just add a tint later yeah, yeah. it's like dude you un- do you know what lighting is <laughs> we'll add a lot of it yeah well in through the whole film really right but i mean you think of like fucking argento films and bava films you're like the color comes from these incredible cinematographers right these visionary filmmakers and the lighting they choose to just add it in post it's always going to look like shit yeah, yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry to be so blunt, <laughs> but you brought it up, so thank you. It's just not the same. It's not. But the issue with this idea at the time is it was forced to gestate for a few years because production companies didn't understand or see the appeal of it. Right. So I don't know exactly when you think about video games at the time. Obviously, everybody's playing them, but I guess it took Hollywood a while, the production companies, to realize that there is a market here Okay. to have yeah, this yeah. overlap. And they're horror games. It's like, I don't know what the yeah. delay is. Yeah. But it took the producer, McGee. Now, I understand. The name made a face. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I... I he that's, has a, that's his government? He has a full yes. name. Yeah. <laughs> but this is his uh, stage name. Okay. All right, all right. That he goes by. He actually is a pretty prolific music video director. Oh, okay. He directed, uh, I think, the first three videos from Korn. All right. He directed a, a few for The Offspring, Cypress Hill. He directed the all-star video for Smash Mouth. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. And Walking on the Sun. Yeah, hey, there you go. He's he from also, the sun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he also directed uh, the Charlie's Angels, uh, Drew Barrymore movie. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And he was an executive producer on The O.C., which will... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> JP's like, McGee's okay. Yeah, all right. he's all right. Yeah. He's all right. Take that face back. <laughs> <laughs> but he understood their vision for the project. Okay. And he liked this idea of it being video game centric and appealing to a younger audience. And as a 15 year old kid, for yeah, me, for uh, sure, you know, but their links for video game accuracy, it came from them hiring a consultant and the consultant they brought in was the game designer from Gears of War. And he was the expert, as they said in the production notes, on gaming culture and vocabulary. Okay. Now, <laughs> a lot of it just feels peppered in. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah it yeah, does. And I'm like, oh yeah, they did say that back then. Like, that's yeah. how I felt watching. No, I felt like they had like a list, and it's like you have to implement yeah. these, yeah. stick these in there. Yeah. yeah. Now, I there's no hate against Microsoft for Xbox. I'm a Sony man myself. I do favor the PlayStation. But I feel like a, uh, maybe a Kojima would have probably been a little better. I feel like the thing is, is the atmosphere you're trying to cultivate. That, yeah. Yes. Let's talk Silent Hill. Yes. Yeah. So Konami. Yeah. 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 You are. You even referenced the Konami code. Yeah. <laughs> and Silent Hill. And Silent yeah. Hill. And you get. Yeah. You get yeah. very wrong, <laughs> but you do say the name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the way they made it seem is there is definitely an effort to be accurate. Yeah. But the producers trusted their vision so much and the work that they had put into it that they had no issue with Bell directing it, even though he really hasn't been tested at this time as a director. I think he made one film in 1997, and then this was his next directing job. Okay. But 
he said that his goal, and this is where he kind of loses me a little bit, is he wanted to merge the classic horror of The Shining, Rosemary's Baby, and The Omen with MTV-style comedy horror of the modern era. The second part I get in this film. Yeah. I don't really get The Shining, The Omen, Rosemary's Baby. No? Mm-mm. No, no. I'm trying. I don't, I don't, I, not at all. There was trees. Yeah. There, there are, was a big house. There's people standing yeah. in a hallway. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the production notes continue. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> but what they said at this point is after getting all this together, what they needed was a big bad. Okay. And that's when they started to dig into history. And they were trying to find a figure fitting of the role that they wanted so they didn't have to rely on some just random slasher villain or random spirit to be the person in this game. But it's the video game. You can make whatever the fuck you want. You You could. could. But I will say that this is, to me, the most interesting choice. And if done right, could have been the most successful. It could have. Okay. Because this calling upon this history for this, this old story with this new method Mm -hmm. is very cool. Right. And that's how they stumbled upon Elizabeth Bathory. Okay. But the thing about it is, when you think about it, really, for how fascinating and just depraved that story is, there aren't a lot of movies about her. No. I can maybe name a handful. All right, all right. And there are some films that reference her. Like, I know Hostel 2 has a scene that's basically Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Bathory. Okay. But for a film to have her as a character this prevalently as a villain is pretty interesting. That's pretty cool, though. It it is very interesting. It's just when you're like, but we need her here. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) that is like, See, I don't know anything about that. I thought this was the video game. I was like, I yeah, was like no, that's, it's that's okay. That, and even that, not knowing anything about that and thinking that still doesn't work for me. I think it was cool, but I feel like the way that they executed it was not. I Yes, I agree. Yeah. I will say they do pay pretty fair tribute to the legend, but then okay. the, the creative license they take is where I think we all ah, okay. kind of like, oh, all right. <laughs> um, I will say just because I have to, but Ghost has an incredible song about Elizabeth Bathory. Okay. I will be using it on Monday when we release this on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to close out the production portion by saying that the reviews for this film were pretty terrible. Yeah. I think that they were a little harsher than they needed to be. But I understand looking back on it now with an adult uh, sensibility and as far as what I want from a narrative. But some of those things that we have that are kind of difficult that we don't really appreciate mm-hmm. are fleshed out a little better in that director's okay. cut. Okay. And so it is upsetting that they put out this 78 minute before credits film. Yeah. When if you literally just add, go ahead and add that 15 minutes. Yeah. And then you might end up with something a little more fleshed out of characters and a little more fleshed out with the narrative. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what that would have done. Cause you saying that about the reviews, I did get curious and I wanted to look so this has a 10% on the on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's got a 56% on the audience score. It's a five out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, it's st- <laughs> it's a 21% on Metacritic or two and a- I'm sorry. I think it's a two and a half. Okay. Something like it's like it's 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 not good. So I was like, God damn. I was like, what? And this was before I started the movie because I was like, I want to see what I'm kind of going into. Because mm-hmm. again, like we've stated, everything talks to us. Everything is there for us. And then when I seen him, I was like, oh my god! I was like, those are those are kind of low. 
I ten percent's pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I will damn. say, but I mean, I, I I do understand there are things to like about this film. There is. So I mean, I you know, but well, I one thing I will say that's very interesting is that as recently as last year, I did see an interview on Dread Central that William Brent Bell did with Mary Beth McAndrews, where there are discussions of a possible sequel. Okay. Oh, okay. So maybe we'll. I would watch yeah. it. And I would. And maybe those kids won't show up this time well, in the yes. fucking theater. <laughs> I want to see the trailer first. Well, okay. Gotta, no. <laughs> now, before we drain this film of its blood, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Pod Mortem is a very in depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's play the game. So the film begins with a glimpse of the opening credits, red text glitching against a black background, and then we're treated to a jump scare. We see a woman's left eye staring straight at us for a split second, the whites of it stained red as blood pours from it down the pale gray skin of her cheek. Already, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I my first thought was, oh no, yeah, um, okay, I'm gonna let that one slide. Yeah, I will say what they said on commentary is that this image was prevalent in the trailer, okay, and they weren't going to use it in the film, but seeing how much it played into the marketing, they felt like they had to, okay, okay. So, and the scream feels like a soundboard, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That is honestly hilarious because they're like, let's just fucking get it out of the way. <laughs> first things first. All right, well, we did it. We did it. <laughs> but this image is accompanied by a scream, but it all gives way to white puffy clouds in a blackened sky, and we glide through them to find a sprawling property, a massive plantation-style mansion surrounded by the stone and iron of a gate. We pass through the gate, gliding over a stone path and under the foreboding branches of the gloomy trees that line it. We see that behind the mansion stands a menacing tower, and in front of it, an ornate marble fountain. What's funny is the accuracy we see later regarding a particular location that we visit, mm -hmm. but this fountain is creative license. We don't have a fountain <laughs> there. <laughs> but venturing past the large pillars of the front of the house, with the music growing frenzied and orchestral, the camera meets a 3D rendered character standing there facing the large wooden front door in a black coat and holding a lantern. We assume this character's point of view and creak the door open. Once inside, thunder rumbles and lightning flashes as we look from side to side, observing empty rooms on either side and a large staircase at the center, which arcs over a long hallway on the first floor. Something peers down at us from the second floor, but this goes unnoticed and the character ventures on down the hallway, accompanied by the sound of his increasing heartbeat. In first person, he surveys the shining glass of the framed photographs that hang on the wall, but in the reflection of one of them, a ghostly girl covered in blood appears momentarily, but disappears in a flash of lightning as her screams echo through the halls. But the character continues on, peering at another photo, this one of a countess in a red Victorian gown, standing behind two children or puppets or puppet children. <laughs> <laughs> one of them has its face split open. You're like, I don't yeah. know what the hell those are. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Can't, can't help. <laughs> Regardless, they appear to not be alive. And one, as I said, has its face halved. But as soon as our character walks away, the countess in the photo raises her head and her pale face is marred with decay. 
Is he playing House of the Dead? Now, uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, and the one thing they did say on commentary that I, I know video games of the time. Right. I mean, I'm thinking of like the quality of graphics and everything. I'm thinking Metal Gear Solid in like right. 2004 was Snake Eater, I think. Mm-hmm. And so shit's pretty good. Story, yeah. narrative, et cetera. Right. What they had said on commentary was that this, what we're seeing is the future of video games. Huh. But I feel like I maybe the future caught up with them before the movie came yeah. out. Yeah. Because yeah. even at the time, I feel like it's not. Not that great. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah. Does, it doesn't look bad. No, not at all. But it's not like. I even at the time you don't look at this and you're like holy shit like, yeah, yeah. It's, no so I don't I don't know and what's funny is in the director's cut they had <laughs> instead of rendering all of it they put unrendered portions of the game into it and so it's like just gray yeah okay. and they're like well we added it anyway just so that we could and it fit the vibe I was like no it doesn't yeah, yeah you can tell yourself <laughs> no, whatever yeah. you want. <laughs> but I did think that the game looked fun it does yeah it lo- it's giving kind of um like PT or layers of fear going through this house and mm-hmm. I would have played it it looks fun but if I'm a play tester my first note is yeah am I the character or am I the camera I mean okay yeah, yeah. because yeah. now I'm in Australia now I'm in America yeah. yes. and I don't know what the hell <laughs> <laughs> what's going on <laughs> yeah but the character continues down a hall the glow of his lantern lighting his way and we watch from above peeking over a chandelier but suddenly he stops when he hears movement behind him a shadow creeps across the floor and takes the shape of a figure at the end of the hall and when our character raises his lantern he sees the countess from the photograph standing there but then she disappears All of the lights go out, and in quick flashes, the Countess reappears, reaching for us with her hands like claws. We take off running, assuming the character's POV again, only to switch to third person in the next shot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But we see the character rush for the front door, which closes on its own before we can make it out. But then we turn around in first person again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, is it like a toggle? I don't know. Yeah. It's just like, just no, no, maybe I'll look like this. Press the select button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in frenzied shots, we see creatures crawling the walls, demonic children gaining on us, and the ghastly girl that was reflected in the picture frame rushes for us once we make it to the second floor. In his haste to escape, the character finds himself in a dingy torture chamber chains and hooks hanging from the ceiling and the walls like something at a hellraiser but hung upside down on one of the hooks is the naked body of a victim drained of her blood and we also see an altar containing a corpse and drippings of another victim the character screams in fright only for the countess to reappear out of nowhere seizing him shackling a chain to his throat and pushing him over the railing of the second floor where he hangs the weight of his body breaking his neck Text then appears over his corpse. Game over. Well, that sucks. <laughs> that was quick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, maybe it's the first time playing the game. I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, it does. I think that's where I get like this doesn't feel like a game is being played. It feels like a cutscene's being watched. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And so I understand we have to translate this to the medium of a movie. Right. But again, I feel like you can still do this in a way. And maybe it was an attempt to kind of like trick us. Maybe. Okay. But even in the um the gameplay that we see later, I'm like, is this the same game? Yeah. I, yeah. Because it looks, it looks a little different. 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a different... Or it plays. Uh, I don't... Well, this didn't feel played at all. But if they are attempting to make us think that we're watching a movie, maybe in 2006 we would have believed it more. Maybe. Okay. Or that, Like a cutscene? I don't know. Or that David uh, Cage made it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> As someone that owns every game of it, yeah, I don't I know, know. Why, I'm <laughs> why I'm talking shit. <laughs> oh, that's why it's so hit or miss. <laughs> Jason. Oh. But the camera pulls back from the screen to find Loomis Crowley, played by Milo Ventimiglia, sat in front of his screen with his controller in his hand, staring blankly at his character's hanging body. Loomis. Of yeah. course. It's pretty yeah. cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, and he's Peter Petrelli from Heroes. There you go. That's where I remember him from. That's so specific. He's yeah. been so many things. First and last. <laughs> yeah. I love Heroes. That was great until it wasn't. I was going to say, I heard. Yeah. yeah. Pay your writers. Yes. Uh, yeah. Please. You know. Lesson learned. Mm-hmm. Well, not well, really. Well, <laughs> was it though? <laughs> but a low rumble is heard as he sits in his dimly lit bedroom, swallowing a cartoonish gulp of worry. I will say something that I notice, and I don't usually notice in things in the dark because, as we've explained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But on the left side, there is a face that appears. Yes. And then disappears. Huh. Yeah. I was so excited by that. I was like, okay, I know that this film kind of has a reputation, and I know that I'm expecting a certain level of cheese, even looking back at it. Mm-hmm. But that yes. made me like, okay. This might be really good. It was very subtle. You definitely could have missed it. You missed I it. I did. Oh. It's it's there. It appears and then it just kind of dissipates. Okay. And I was like, "Okay. Maybe." All right. I will say the horror of this film is predominantly ruled by jump scares. Yeah. Yeah. But little moments like that. And for that being the first one besides the weird eye at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Okay, maybe this, you know, doesn't deserve the reputation that it has." Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then we, <laughs> we <laughs> But elsewhere, sitting in front of his computer at home is Hutch, played by John Foster. His telephone begins to ring on his desk and he reaches for it to answer it. Clearly waiting for this call, Hutch simply asks, how was it? Loomis is on the other end, telling him that he played this new game called Stay Alive and gushes that it was the sickest shit since Fatal Frame. Um. Shout out to Fatal Frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not trying to nitpick here. I know this is like the first dialogue that we're getting, but Hutch saying "How was it?" made me feel like he knew that he got this, that he yeah. got it, and that he was gonna play it. Yeah. Okay. And so, how was it? And the reply being like, "I got this new get." Like, I was just like, "What?" Like the dialogue felt very strange. Okay. That continues. Yeah, because yeah. it doesn't. It feels like we're having two separate conversations. That didn't feel like an answer to what he asked right also did y'all know that that's ben foster's brother i did not know that until this film yeah yeah you told me yeah i was like what speaking of fatal frame we do get another reference to that by way of an item Mm -hmm. used in the film but they had also cited fatal frame as one of their biggest influences on the look of the mansion in the game and the inside okay okay all right i get that that's pretty cool and i think that came out in a one fatal frame okay so it's so relatively, yeah. yeah. Timely. Yeah. But Loomis says that the game was creepy, really creepy. But he then changes the subject, stammering as he asks Hutch if he can come over before taking a sip of his Red Bull. I'm not sure if it's the battery acid he's drinking or the fear that's powering <laughs> most of this. <laughs> 
But Hutch declines the offer, but hangs an air freshener on it, assuring Loomis that he'll come by this weekend and that they'll burn it solid. I didn't know if that was 2000s for smoking pot or if he's saying they'll do a run through of the game together. I, I felt like he was saying he's going to burn the game off of him. Oh, so that he could have it. I thought that they were going to play it through. Where he's like, I, I mean, can't but deny, can. but we're going like, to yeah. fuck it up this weekend. Maybe. I mean, I think, or maybe they're going to smoke. Play the game. Play the game. Play the game, and then he's going to burn him. He's going to burn him. <laughs> All three. <laughs> this is for you. <laughs> but Loomis rushes off the phone with plans made for the weekend. But as soon as he hangs up, he just sits there, nervously clenching his jaw before leaning in to stare at the game over screen on his monitor again. Scratching noises are heard above his head, and as he looks up, pondering the source of the sound, he's startled out of it when thunder crackles and lightning flashes outside. We then see him inching his way up the stairs, made uneasy by the storm and whatever might be waiting for him up there. When he finally makes it upstairs, he finds a closed door at the end of the hall. He creeps towards it when he hears banging noises emanating from behind it. His hand cautiously reaches for the knob as the score tensely rises, and when he forces the door open, he finds Rex, his friend played by Billy Slaughter, making it sweet with Sarah, played by Nicole Opperman, while wearing a pig mask. Now, I understand pigs love it, but <laughs> I was taking advantage All of the situation. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, I know you said y'all were porking, but this All is right. ridiculous. <laughs> it's very ridiculous. I'm not here to kink shame, but what the hell's going yeah. on here? I didn't understand the extent of it. <laughs> Honestly, close the door. Yeah. Who, Loomis? Yeah. Loomis, yeah. A, close the door, and B, if you know that your friends are in there getting it in, getting why it in. are you <laughs> why are you creeping to the door like you're alone in the house? You know there are people up there. That that was my thing. He is it does seem like he's acting like he's alone in yes. the home. Yeah, he is. So for him to walk in and then be like, Oh, it's just you guys fucking Yeah. It's like if you <laughs> you know they're up here. <laughs> well, I mean they were. Yeah, and I, know. It, and, I they mean were. Just take the mask off, dude. I again, no, that the king thing is cool. Whatever. I don't. Again, we don't yeah. need that. Um, that's, that's y'all's business. It's weird. But. It's that, oh, maybe that was like the Shining, the Overlook Hotel guy. Doesn't oh, have a bear yeah. mask on. It was a bear. I mean, and, maybe yeah. there you go. There's we your found shining. it. There's your shining. <laughs> take a shot. Yeah. <laughs> but it it is very weird. This does feel very weird. It's yeah. It's a choice. Yeah. But Rex turns around and realizes Loomis has burst into the sty. <laughs> he tears off the mask asking Loomis if he knows how to knock Loomis lingers a little longer than necessary knocking on the door as proof that he knows how while staring straight at the cavorting couple I'm like I feel like I feel like maybe you guys maybe we're too close like I don't know yeah. this is really weird he's like I'm gonna order a pizza later yeah. <laughs> it's like you get it's like, out we're like well, we're joined at this point yeah. Like, yeah. I don't need to be, we don't need to be making eye contact and having a full conversation <laughs> trying to oink in here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey that's their thing that's their thing that's that's if you're comfortable, whatever, and talking to your mate like that, He's that's like, fine. Get snout of here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's all I got. <laughs> Sorry, all the pig. I don't have anything for the curly tail. I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn. I'm disappointed. I'm sorry, okay. everyone. <laughs> but Sarah calls Loomis a perv and tells him to shut the door. But Loomis just responds that he found the two of them in the game and that they're really good. But Rex replies that they haven't played the game for hours, and he shoos Loomis away as he readies his pig mask once again. 
So I found you in the game. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. With what we learn later. I don't know. It took me literally until this time watching it to even understand it because it's said in kind of just a whatever kind of way. Yeah. I didn't catch it. Yeah. At all. Because maybe because of what is already happening here. Okay. And the fact that I was just like, you're being very rude. Shut the door and get the fuck out of there. <laughs> um, I didn't. And so stuff later, I was like, why did that happen? Yeah, I they didn't I didn't make the connection until that line. Yeah, I heard it, but I just I was just like, huh? What is what do you mean? Like what is yeah, I don't know what I, that means. I didn't put it together. Until later, then it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And one thing I thought that and we learn a little bit later because right here I thought Rex is Loomis's roommate. Yes. And they're living in this house together. This is Loomis's parents' house. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they're doing their pig business yeah. in presumably Loomis's parents' bed. Just use my bed, dude. Don't use it. Yeah. Don't get get well, out. Get not snow. my parents' bed. Well, don't. <laughs> yeah, get snow. Get, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, definitely not my parents' bed. Nah. But this whole thing is. But do the parents even live here? Because later on, it's just treated like it's a fucking yeah, abandoned is, house. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So that I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But they continue just trying to get trough. <laughs> <laughs> I know that the whole time we were talking, you were yeah. just yeah. like, what else do pigs do? What, what's pig behavior? What's, what's What do pigs enjoy? <laughs> I'm just staring, not even at you. <laughs> what do pigs enjoy? <laughs> but we cut to Loomis in his bedroom, fast asleep. But upon having a very vivid nightmare of quick cuts of his character's death and stay alive, Loomis lurches up awake. He clumsily places his glasses on his face and goes to switch on his lamp, but it doesn't turn on. He then snags a silver lighter from his nightstand, flicking it on, the small orange glow of the flame his only source of light. Loomis creeps downstairs but gets the absolute shit scared out of him when he imagines the Countess from the video game rushing toward him with a scream. That reminded me of how I felt after playing PT. <laughs> it got in there. It, it stays with you. <laughs> you still think about it. I do. <laughs> but thankfully, this terrifying vision somehow just turns out to be his own reflection in a mirror. He collects himself, and once he reaches the bottom floor, he creeps his way into the kitchen. Once he's there, a loud, rhythmic, and rumbling vibration startles him from behind, and he looks around nervously. He reassures himself that it's not real and not to freak out as he snags a glass from the cupboard. But as he opens the fridge and grabs a half gallon of milk, we see that Loomis is being watched from the corner of the room by a mysterious figure. Loomis takes a sip of milk as he exits the room, but before he can reach the stairs, that pulsating hum returns. Only this time, the sound is coming from behind him in the kitchen. He turns around and peers back into the room, and slowly, a shadow begins to stretch across the room and is cast against the refrigerator. Loomis calls out, assuming that it's Rex or Sarah. But when he's faced with a ghostly, cloaked silhouette, the score becomes frenzied and Loomis chucks his glass in its direction before taking off upstairs. He shouts for Rex and Sarah, and in the now-shattered glass of the mirror that scared Loomis only moments ago, we see the figure's reflection gliding past in pursuit. But once Loomis reaches the second floor, he bursts into the room, only to recoil, shrieking in horror. There, much like his character discovered in the video game, we see Sarah hanging upside down from the ceiling, drained of her blood, along with Rex, who's now lying slaughtered in a heap on the once-white blankets of the bed. 
Blood decorates the walls in a macabre display, and Loomis's howls are muffled against his shaking hands. But upon taking one step back, a shackle is cinched around Loomis's throat, and his body is vaulted through the banister. We hear his neck snap, and he sways silently over the first floor, just as his character did in the video game. The camera pulls back, viewing Loomis's lifeless body through the window before we cut to black, and we get the title in glitchy, flickering red text. Stay alive. Honestly, this didn't stay as good as the, you know, the visual with the head over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm still like, okay. Yeah, I mean, the 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 lady was PS1 cutscene graphics. <laughs> but I mean, it was, she was. It, yeah. it, it, it wasn't bad. No. I was still pretty invested at this point. I heard on commentary that this first section of the film was used as a pitch to finance the rest of it. Okay. And so I can see that because this actually works as a pretty good cold open. It does. I think my issues kind of arise with where we take the rules from here. Okay. I will admit with kind of what Rex said in the bedroom, it does excuse away a little bit Mm -hmm. where he's like, we haven't played in hours. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it really does give you the easiest way out for not following anything you've established. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Like literally. (laughs) But we cut to a shot of a large city overlooking a bridge over the water, the camera rising to meet skyscrapers as the horn of a ship blares in the distance. But inside of a crowded and dimly lit office and through the hustle and bustle of the morning, we find Hutch leafing through a stack of folders in his hands as he makes his way toward a hallway. Thank you for saying dimly lit because I was like, is this fucking sinister? Why is this office so dark? It's like everyone's hung over on Monday. We're, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get any work done. I can't fucking see anything. I'm just sleeping the whole day, actually. <laughs> That's why it's that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in all fairness, we never learn what this office is. No. Yeah. It's just inferred. Maybe it's a sleep study place. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, shit. There <laughs> you the go. Employee, <laughs> the employees sleep too. Yeah, it's a big, it's a new age. I don't know. <laughs> but there in the hallway, he meets Loretta, played by April Wood. He hands off the stack of folders to her, and she applauds his expeditiousness before asking if he took care of the marina report. Hutch promises that he was just about to, but Loretta just tells him not to bother. But she warns him about the boss, who she says wants to see him right away. She claims that he's in one of his moods. But she opens the office door for him to let him inside, and Hutch wishes her a happy birthday, to which she thanks him in French. This doesn't matter or come up again. <laughs> no. And was it just me or did, did anybody else think she was going to have a bigger role oh, after yeah. this little walk together a thousand percent this walk i thought we're setting up love interest yes for him yeah we maybe see her we see her once more more. yeah Yeah. and that's it yeah but behind the desk in the office sits a very clearly irritated miller banks played by adam goldberg the hebrew (laughs) hammer yeah I did hear on commentary, they said through their research, they found that the average age of a gamer, at at least in 2006, is 29 years old. And so they were trying to challenge perceptions of what people think of gamers by having this lawyer at a law firm being into it. Oh, there he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, but all right. I literally, I was like, he's a boss in a building. See, thank you. Yeah. Okay, then that fixes my my complaint here. Okay, my complaint was you look the same age as this dude. Mm-hmm. 
did y'all like does he suck at his job and you don't that's why you're his boss well or like i'm like maybe if he was a few years older then it would be like okay maybe you're a couple grades above me that's how we know each other but don't know know each other the other thing that is not clearly established is as hutch walks into the office he passes a portrait yeah on commentary that's miller's father who owns the law firm okay i had to rewind it (laughs) So, because, again, all this backstory that's just not there. No, yeah. Nothing's clear. But I had to rewind it when he walked <laughs> when he walked past it because I... <laughs> oh, God. I thought it was a portrait of Dr. Drew. <laughs> <laughs> it probably was. Sure, dude. Yeah. It wasn't because I went back. <laughs> and I wasn't going to share that, but I just did. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> the director said that it was going to be a portrait of his father and it was going to be like a little homage, a cameo. Okay. But for some reason, it wasn't allowed in by the producers. They were like, nah, let's just... And so it's just nobody. They're yeah. like, your dad's ugly. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's Jeez. such a weird thing to not allow. I don't yeah. know why it wouldn't be allowed. <laughs> but Miller spins around in his chair like a Bond villain to face Hutch before standing up and callously tossing a stack of papers onto his desk. Hutch's demeanor changes as he assures Miller that he was just going to... But Miller interrupts him, reminding Hutch that he's been working on this for over a month, which he incorrectly calculates as 100 hours. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no metric that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> what? I don't know how many hours you're... So you're not working that hard. No, not at all. There's you're doing a lot just of, fine. There's a lot of breaks. <laughs> but Hutch tries to smooth it all over, promising speedy work on the Marina report, but Miller just feigns confusion at the report that Hutch is talking about. They share a laugh together that seems genuine, but then Hutch appears very worried when Miller approaches him, puts his hands on his shoulders, and asks him to have a seat. He reminds Hutch that he hired him for one reason and one reason only. And he claims that the walkthrough says that if he dumps the ammo and the boss dies, Hutch responds puzzled, asking his boss if they're seriously talking about Silent Hill 4. No, they're not. No? <laughs> yeah. I, they're not. Sorry, <laughs> Miller says that they absolutely are, and Hutch just laughs in relief as Miller takes his seat behind his desk again. Hutch confirms that Miller already has the hyperblaster and tells him that he's right to dump it, adding that it has unlimited ammo and nullifies the secret. He then slyly asks Miller if he can get tomorrow off from work. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> like, because that is nothing. He's yeah, like, hey, no. <laughs> while we're like being besties or whatever, well. can I have tomorrow off? <laughs> um, I just have to talk about the hyperblaster real quick because yeah. I lo- Silent Hill 4 The Room mm-hmm. was my shit. I loved that game. And I had to confirm it because I have in my notes, uh, I don't think so, question mark, mm-hmm. um, because it's been many years since I played it. But the Hyper Blaster, like you remember in the, because there's always multiple endings to the Silent Hill games. Right, right. In the first one, you get the Hyper Blaster from the UFO ending. Mm, yeah. And the room, I think, is the first Silent Hill that does not have a UFO ending. See, I never played the fourth one. It's good. Yeah. It's wild. That one came out in 04, I believe. Okay, that sounds uh, about yeah, right. I didn't play that one. I did play the first two, and then I watched you play quite a few of them. Yeah. Um, four is really good when you're going through the wall and shit. It's good. It's good. Um, That's a Henry, right? Henry Townsend or... That Townsend? sounds right. Yeah. Yes. yeah. All I know is he's not getting his deposit back. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's fucked. <laughs> 
but uh not to go full nerd out that that they're what they're they're talking shit they're talking bullshit it sounded very wrong yeah what's interesting is that they even mentioned on commentary that this is obviously not the correct thing no but i feel like and i wonder are they mentioning Silent Hill 4 because this script was maybe written in 2004? Okay. Okay. That, that's fine. I get Silent Hill 4. That's the most recent one. Yeah. Name drop it. You already name dropped Fatal Frame. Mm-hmm. That's fine. It's the newest one. Why would you not? Yeah. But I feel, and I, I, I include myself as a person that likes games, as a gamer, mm-hmm. we can be annoying as fuck. And yeah. so when you're saying shit and you're getting it wrong, the exact audience that you're making this film for, yep. they might get a little upset. Mm-hmm. And in the production notes when you're talking about accuracy. Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Especially you say it came out in 04. This is like the prime time to be talking about it and getting it right. Yeah. That's and it. It wouldn't hurt you just to even have somebody, look, play this game for an hour. Tell me something that happens in the game. We can put it right there. Hey, I'm stuck at such and such room or a hole just opened up in my room. Yeah. that got bigger. I need to whatever. And that's it. Or just don't say the number. Yeah. Or yeah. just say, okay. you say hyper blaster. Nerds are going to be like, oh, fuck. They're talking. You know what I mean? You don't, you're doing too much and it's, you're tipping your hand. Yeah. That's all. But after being asked for a day off, Miller says that he needs to think about it for a moment. But what he's really thinking about is how much he needs that weapon to get to the final boss in Silent Hill whatever number. (laughs) (laughs) Hutch suggests that he just beat the boss straight up, saying that it's the way God intended. Miller then levels with Hutch, telling him that if he put as much effort into clerking as he did into gaming, he could end up just like him someday. Hutch is speechless at this, clearly not wanting to end up like Miller, But then Miller decides in this moment to give Hutch the day off tomorrow, but only if he gives him the details on how to beat the game. (laughs) That's a fair trade. Sure. Hutch reiterates what he already told him. It's easier to kill the boss without the blaster than it is to kill her with it. He instructs Miller to lose the hyper blaster on his way down the stairs. The boss will die on her own. Game over. Miller is overjoyed to finally have the answer, and then he promptly changes the subject, asking Hutch if he's hip to this PDA sex thing. And Hutch replies that he hasn't gotten into that yet. Now, <laughs> again, with this film being very 2006, he's yes. talking about like a palm pilot. Yeah. What kind of palm? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, this was an abrupt yeah. change in conversation. Yeah. And I don't know what the fuck that means no. at all. But you know what? I'm not trying to get out, get away from the uh, Palm Pilot sex or whatever we're talking yeah. about right now. But do you know what would have been cool? Do you remember in Shaun of the Dead when they're playing the game at the beginning and then shit happens later on in the movie and they're saying the exact same shit that they were saying at the beginning when they were playing the game? Yeah. yeah. That would have been really fucking cool to do. And I don't know if what he's saying maybe is a little bit. I don't know. But it's there's there's no correlation no that just would have been what an opportunity like that would have been really cool and that's i mean that is a that would be a credit to the screenwriting yes and instead it's a massive demerit and then you're pissing off the nerds (laughs) yes and then now the nerds are mad at you but loretta returns telling hutch that there's a phone call for him and he takes it at miller's desk while miller seems to be preoccupied with the aforementioned pda sex thing But immediately after answering the phone, Hutch reacts in quiet shock to clearly terrible news and somber piano begins to play. 
We cut to Hutch arriving at Loomis's funeral in a large cemetery surrounded by mausoleums and tombstones. So this, I learned on commentary, was filmed on location in New Orleans. Oh, damn. Oh. And the cemetery that they're in, it was so large that they cut out like a section that they used for this scene. Okay. And then another section is used in another part later, and it's the exact same cemetery. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't mean to derail anything, and I know that something later specifically takes place in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But I guess that I thought that they drove there. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that the whole film takes place in New Orleans. Yeah. If I'm being completely honest, (laughs) I don't know if this is petty or not. That kind of fucking pisses me off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel in my mind like New Orleans is like a magical place. Mm -hmm. If you're setting a movie there, you're doing a huge disservice not having like that's its own character. Yeah. Not having it play any fucking factor in this at all. Nobody has an accent. We don't see any. And, And was it just me? No, I, th- I think that the thing about using New Orleans is use New Orleans. That's yeah, what I'm saying. That, yeah. And the the interesting thing to me is that if we're using New Orleans, you know how much culture, history, and stories we have here? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So, and, and so why are we pulling from another legend from Hungary? Hungary. And I will say, I'm just going to put it all on the table now. The person that they could have used to me was Delphine LaLaurie. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. She's literally in, or she is. <laughs> <laughs> but another fucking monster took yeah. place in New Orleans, infused the city in this. Give at least a couple of the characters some fucking seasoning, if you know what I'm talking about. Yes. I'm not trying to take it there, but that, are you like... I didn't know that we were there the whole time, and I'm a little upset. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it and it they don't even really talk about it. I think it's a matter of the architecture that okay. gives it away, and about the cemetery and the style of it, where you're like, oh, I guess this is New Orleans, but you shouldn't have to guess that this is. You New should Orleans. not. See, New Orleans is uh, wow. Yeah, wow. I didn't get that at all. This could be take place anywhere because mm-hmm. it, it's not very. At least for me, I didn't get that either. I was like, I was not like, at oh, all. where are Oh, you guys are here. Oh, okay. And I did not see w- not one beignet. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, now we're starting to get cliche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Hutch somberly greets Mrs. Crowley, Loomis's mother, played by Monica Monica. He makes his way through the crowded cemetery to shake the hand and sit next to one of Loomis's uncredited family members. But behind the crowd, he notices Abigail, played by Samir Armstrong, snapping photos on an old-fashioned camera reminiscent of Fatal Frame. I, I'll give I'll give the movie okay, that. Yeah, I Little... hate everything else. <laughs> Goddamn! I don't like her. No, 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 no. And I or the way she's utilized. Yeah, we get more moments with her in the director's cut as far as character development in a way and her dynamics with everyone else. Okay. But in this, she is so background. Yeah. Yes. And then suddenly so forefront, and it just does yes. not work at all. Yeah. Yeah. See, I know her from the OC. She was on there for a few seasons from 03 to 07. Okay. She was the next girlfriend of Ryan's, which no. Benjamin <laughs> McKenzie. <laughs> but but I see, I know her from there. So then seeing her here, I was like, oh, okay, I know her. But yeah, I've, uh, oh my God. Yeah. And that's how she got this part is because McGee is a producer. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. All right. But as the vicar begins to speak, Abigail notices that she's caught Hutch's attention, 
lowering her camera and giving him a small wave of acknowledgement. After the funeral, Hutch watches from afar as Loomis's loved ones mingle in front of a mausoleum with the name Crowley etched into the stone. Abigail approaches him, tapping him on the shoulder and immediately snapping his photo with her camera. She lets out an awkward chuckle, with Hutch asking her if she really just took a photo of him. She admits that she did, noting that with all of the crying faces at Loomis's funeral, Hutch seems to be the saddest, despite the fact that he isn't crying. So she took a picture. Wow. So I violated your privacy and your grief because you look the sad. This is so, again, like I said at the top, and we were talking the other day to so manic pixie dream girl mm-hmm. that it was making my entire, like I turned inside out. I cringed so hard. <laughs> Who? What? Yeah, I don't know. And the fact that it's like, oh my God, she's so cute. It's like, <laughs> what? You're, why are you here? I think that's And then even when she explains Dude, why she's here. Don't even get me started I about get, that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think it's just as it goes on like that, because for me, it's like, oh, okay, cool. You came, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then the more as we get to she talks and we know her character and see it's like, what? What is happening? I will be completely upfront. I, again, did not remember much. I remembered a few moments of this. I did not fully remember the um, like character arcs or the ending or really her at all. Yeah. To be honest. She is introduced at this point with this camera mm-hmm. and this very like, I'm so quirky yeah. thing. I'm thinking that you are Mary Beth from the faculty. Yes. Okay. That is what okay. I'm thinking. There and again, it's a very old camera. Yes. Yeah. We're start you know, and yeah. the way that it continues, there's even something that comes up later that's like, huh. Mm-hmm. Why is you know, and you start to piece things together, right? Yeah. Get a theory together. And the other thing, again, if we need a love interest for Hutch, we had one potentially with Loretta. Yes. Right. And then there's and also, another character that is way more fitting of what should be. And, and literally, you tell <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like times a thousand. You tell me this film loses Abigail. What do we lose? Nothing. Yeah, that, really? That's what I'm saying. She is. She approaches him at this funeral for really no good reason. No. The camera which mm-hmm. I really thought was going to mean more than it does. Yeah, it doesn't. I and thought that the camera was going to be used as another object that we see used later. Okay. Okay. But okay. it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, Because, dude, they say that <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> like to be seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, All right. Yeah. We'll talk. She also hates flowers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but and then the way that she gloms on to this group. Yes. I was really the entire film waiting for the other shoe to drop and for her pinky finger to let the scat out of the pen. Like I was <laughs> I was waiting the whole time. That it see, I I just <laughs> I understand the annoyance with her character because I did my I'm like, okay, we see you taking pictures at the funeral. I'm like, okay, you're important for something. Right. Because you're like you said, you're doing something old camera. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. But yeah, I I think you're right. T take her out. The change is nothing. And but if you keep her here later on, I feel like she could have been used in a whole different way. Yeah. If you're going to introduce her, then Give her something else to do. She should be the one that's bringing something else to the table. Yes. Instead of what we get. 
narratively, if you are introducing somebody else outside of this friend group into this friend group, there needs to be some. I mean, yeah. right. And we kind of touched on some feelings of suspicion from one character. Yeah. But it only reads as jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, and here I will reference one film because this is kind of what I thought they were leading towards. Again, I hadn't seen this film since I was a yeah. kid. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, what does happen in this really? I'm thinking maybe a little dead silence. Okay. okay. You know, but that would have been more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing that makes it even more difficult is when we do, and we will in just a scene or two, mm. meet the rest of the group, and there is a gel and chemistry between the four of them. Mm-hmm. Right. She doesn't fit in with them, and it, I know it's a whole outsider thing of her not being part of the group, but just acting-wise, too. Yeah. yeah. Like, she stands out in a way that, to me, is not fun to watch it's not but again it would work if there is <laughs> if there, i don't like her performance I'm, like, sorry. I'm very sorry i like the two me <laughs> because i feel like you could say whatever you want as long as you add to me wow like to me i fucking yeah. hate it <laughs> well, that's just that's to me though, yeah that's just my opinion <laughs> <laughs> But Abigail shows off the picture as it develops in her hand. She says that Hutch and Loomis must have been close, and Hutch agrees that they were, amending that to say that they were close. Yes, I did not make a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) That's the screenplay, dude. I don't know what's going on. He goes, We were so close. I mean, we were so close. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, what? Like, no, that. that's, yeah, yeah, that's so what you said. said. Yeah. I know that he's trying to say maybe they don't see each other as much as they used to. Yeah. But then say that you are and then were. Or if you're trying to say because he's passed away now, yes. say are and then were. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> but he asks if Abigail knew Loomis. She shares that she only knew him a little, but she grew up with Sarah back in Georgia. So was this pig thing new or was that always a fascination? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you would know you knew her. You're the only one that can tell me. What the hell is going on? Not to kink shame. Not at all. But again, I was like, is this a joint service? Like, I still don't understand why you're here. You're here at Loomis's service with Loomis's family. Yes. Taking fucking pictures like a creep in the background. Before, while the vicar's talking. Yes. Uh, So mad. (laughs) But they commiserate over the fact that they were both supposed to be there that night, hanging out with their respective friends. Abigail lamenting that she always thought that she'd be taking pictures on Sarah's wedding day, not her funeral. It's Loomis's funeral. Yeah. Yeah. There's no mention of Sarah in this scene. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Hutch is then approached by Emma, Loomis's little sister, played by Lauren Lorbeck. He gives her a hug and remarks at how she's grown since the last time he saw her. He asks her how she's doing, which isn't the best question to ask right now. No. But Emma answers that she's okay before handing Hutch a large brown satchel. Hutch remarks that this is Loomis's bag and asks her if she wants it. But Emma says that it's filled with Loomis's video games, which her parents were going to toss, and they'd never let her play anyway because they're too violent. Having this conversation in this trade-off at the funeral Mm -hmm. was a lot it's very weird it was odd and i think if we're talking about the fact that maybe hutch isn't around anymore in loomis's life yeah why would you bring the satchel there expecting to see him to give it to him yeah 
Okay. <laughs> so again, it's just like these really confusing things that we don't really reconcile. Right. But Emma says that Loomis would want him to have the games anyway. Hutch thanks her with another hug, which Abigail immediately snaps a photo of. And after Emma returns to her family, Abigail hands Hutch a piece of paper with her phone number on it if he ever wants to talk. Can you fuck <laughs> off? <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough when you're doing it to me, but that girl had to be like a teenager. Yeah. yeah. She just lost her fucking br- fuck off. Like yeah. I could not. I, I, She's shaking the pole. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Outcast. <laughs> it's like, dude. Uh, it is. Oh, that was a good shot. <laughs> I really caught the, the sadness Those in their eyes. <laughs> you fucking <laughs> ghoul. The two saddest people here. <laughs> she wasn't crying either. <laughs> But after a few shots of the city transit, we're taken to an internet cafe, the camera gliding over gamers preoccupied by their screens under the glow of a red light, as well as groups of friends hanging out together in booths, some playing video games on their laptops, lit only by candles in the light of the sun through the parted drapes of the windows. The camera then pulls back to find October, the cool character of the film, Played by Sophia Bush, lying across the bar and reading a book with a purple cover. Your feet are on the bar. I buy drinks at that bar. The drinks are in cups. Nah, dude. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like you drink off this bar. (laughs) (laughs) They just pour it onto the bar. Yeah. (laughs) Nah. What kind of establishment is this? (laughs) No. But Hutch walks into the business. And October hops down, greeting him with a hug and tells him that she didn't think he'd be back so soon. She kisses his cheeks and asks him if he's okay, but Hutch just replies that he doesn't know and that the whole thing is hard to believe. So again, it feels like we're, to me, this is the clear couple. Yeah. It it does start that way. Mm-hmm. But entering the room with energy and a low five for Hutch is Phineas, played by Jimmy Simpson. So, Jimmy Simpson. Mm-hmm. Liam McPoyle. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, use his real name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I heard on commentary that he was cast almost as a happy accident because apparently the director and the co-writer went to go see a film called Debs. Okay. And in this film, they were hoping to cast another character with one of the actresses in the main cast. But watching it, they were like, this guy, Jimmy Simpson, is stealing every single scene that he's in. <laughs> yeah. And so they called him in for an audition, but they met him in the hallway and they just told him, the part's yours. Like, you can audition, but we're already giving it to you. And to me, he makes this character because this character should not work. Yeah. Yeah. This character is annoying. He is brash. He's He's ridiculous. (laughs) He's rude. But there's something very endearing about Jimmy Simpson. And we talked about it, I think, on Zodiac, too, where we're like, he's such a good actor. He is. And I was going to say that was the other thing. Yeah. (laughs) But it is like kind of how we think of Glenn Howerton on It's Always Sunny, where we're like, they deserve more accolades. Yes. He, for me, he's the only character that works. That's it. I enjoy him. And that's it. For me, it's him in October. I agree. But I think it's also because I just wanted everything that October exudes. That is what I wanted to exude <laughs> at that age. So I think it's it's a very much a, um, yeah, them two till the end. <laughs> I don't and for, it's a brother and sister. 
Yeah, and I remember we were talking about it uh, last night. He was like, her name's October. And I was like, I remember being like, I wish my name was October. <laughs> You're wasting a wish. <laughs> I can back make, then, back then, back then. Dude, I can make that wish come true for you right now, October. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not calling you. I'm, <laughs> I'm not calling you. I'm not wasting it now. This yeah. was back then, back mm-hmm. then. Yeah, she's very cringy. They're all pretty cringy. I don't, I do like McPoyle. He's great, mm-hmm. um, but they're all. But again, I feel like that's and it, and nothing against them, but I feel like that him, he's so good for what we have here. It takes away from what anybody else is trying to do. When he's in the scene, mm-hmm. I'm like, I just want to look at Liam. That's well, that's it. that's back <laughs> yeah. to stealing the scene. Yeah. yeah, but I feel like we don't really get because this this movie is so short. Yeah, we also don't get a lot of time for like characterization and stuff like that. That's true. So him embodying this character so immediately and so easily, it really does put him kind of performance wise above everybody else because you can be like okay i know exactly who the fuck this guy is you mm-hmm. know and yeah. the other characters you don't really get that because he does give a little more of himself yeah. be even though he is rude or outspoken or whatever he's just kind of loud he does he is able to project his own personality in that doing that yeah and you feel that is a lot of his lines are clearly improv yeah <laughs> it sounds like it really <laughs> does But Finn calls the whole thing a tragedy, summing it up with, first your parents, now this, telling Hutch that when God dealt straws, Hutch came up with a short one. Damn, dude. (laughs) Yeah, I know. October tells Finn that the problem with his mouth is that stupid and sensitive shit comes out of it and calls him an idiot. Again, this dialogue, the problem with your mouth is you say bad things. Yeah, (laughs) and it's so like... um, I, what, he's, what does he say? Like, what kind of person says that to their brother? Yeah. Somebody who has an idiot friend. It's like, okay, your brother's yeah. sister. Like, yeah. Yeah. This is very <laughs> expositional. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what yeah. I'm getting yeah. at. Yeah, like, dude. <laughs> and I will say something else again they talk about on commentary. It's supposed to be October and Finn own this cafe. <laughs> From where? Their parents gave it to no, them. No, I'm saying like, yeah, we don't that, know that. No. Yeah. It seems like they kind of just, this is their hangout. Yeah. Granted, while they're there later when there's nobody else there, you're like, did they break into the Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it's not established and maybe laying on the bar means you own the place. Well, I was going <laughs> to say that's probably why she's not getting fired <laughs> from having <laughs> <laughs> her feet on the bar. <laughs> but standing behind the bar, Finn says that all he was trying to say is that Hutch is strong and he makes sure that Hutch knows that he's a rock star and that he loves him. Hutch returns the sentiments, but Finn, offended by October's comment, asks her, as you said, who talks to their brother that way? And October just says that someone who has an idiot for a brother does. And again, you're related. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. It's one thing that just, it's a pet peeve of mine with screenwriting. I feel like there there has to be more organic and better ways to... Or even if, again, this movie is so short, even yeah. if you're trying to expedite that, you really only need one of them to say it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or even just uh, a throwaway, mom's going to kick your ass or whatever. Anything, even yeah. That, and then that's it. You don't need yeah. anything else for that. But Finn just responds in jest that October is a terrible person. But taking a seat on top of the bar, October asks Hutch if they know what happened to Loomis yet. Hutch says that all he knows is that Loomis was murdered along with two of his friends. And when asked, Hutch shares the contents of Loomis's bag, video games, pictures, etc., 
October immediately snags a photo album, finding a photo of Hutch and Loomis together as children, which brings a smile to Hutch's face to see it. Finn, however, finds Loomis's lighter, the same one that he used on the night that he died, but when Finn flicks it on and the flame dances warmly, we see quick flashes of Hutch as a child, crowded in the corner of a room surrounded by flames, and a picture of himself and his parents through the blaze. This exposition. It's a lot. It's It's a lot. I feel like it's enough if we just show a child Hutch and then maybe we start to see a little more as it goes on. Yes. But they're like, okay, so we see Hutch, we see his parents, we hear what Finn said. It's like, we already know the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. So again, whenever this comes up later and it's like, well, here's what happened. It's like, Mm. we already know what happened. Yeah. I also found it interesting and maybe I was just expecting more depth or adding more myself, but the way that these bodies were found, I was a little surprised that the police were like, oh, three murders. Yeah. I thought there would be a little bit more of him being like, well, you know, they're saying that he, I mean, you know? Yeah. 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 Very true. Because I feel like in, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I, I was, think about I was that. putting too much into it, but yeah. No, because yeah, there is three murders and it's just yeah. like, oh, my friend passed away. Yeah. Or the fact that I thought that they would think... It appears somebody did something to two people. Yes. And then, you know. And this is ritualistic murder. Yeah. And nobody's (laughs) talking about that part either. No, they're just like... (laughs) And the fact that he's like, oh, I don't know. They're just saying like him and two of his friends got killed. It's like, what? But check this bag out. (laughs) (laughs) It's got games and pictures. and (laughs) It's got a zipper and uh, snaps. (laughs) It's mine. His sister gave it to me. really weird. (laughs) At the funeral. Yeah. But after these flashbacks, Hutch is taken aback, singed by the grief of his memories, and tells Finn that he can keep the lighter. Finn apologizes, thanking Loomis above for the new lighter, October remarking that Finn must have been adopted. Their brother and sister. Yeah, Yeah. that 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 honestly would have been enough. Yeah. Yeah. But Finn changes the subject, commenting that Loomis must have been a real gamer, and he asks if there are any good titles in the bag. Hutch says that he isn't sure and allows Finn to check it out for himself. The first game pulled from the bag has a simple case and no artwork, just a white background with words written simply in red on the front cover. Stay alive. October admits that she's never heard of it, and Hutch shares that that was the game that Lewis was playing the night that he died somberly remembering that he was supposed to be with him that night, but totally blew him off. It's nitpicky. Yeah. But the way that they set that up in that scene was Loomis was kind of freaked out of the game. Uh Yeah. And he was like, hey, you're going to come over? Can you come over tonight? It seemed very impromptu in this moment. Mm -hmm. I think it would have been better if he's like, hey, you said, you know, just something small like that. Yeah. Yeah. You said you'd be here. What's going on? Okay. And and you're a gamer, but your game is in a fucking... DVD case with the paper written on it. <laughs> Where's the case? Where's the cover? There's no instruction manual. Well, it's a, what? It's a beta, right? Yeah, which, I mean... That's that's how they gave it to you? <laughs> Take a little pride in your work. Yeah, come on, at least draw something on the it's front. It's not that hard, yeah. yeah. Draw like a mansion and like a stick figure standing outside. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but October soothes his guilty conscience, and Finn learns from Hutch that Loomis actually did some beta testing which is probably how he got his hands on Stay Alive. Now, again, very interesting concept Mm -hmm. that is elaborated on and explained in the director's cut, which we'll get to in a bit. Okay. In this, that leads nowhere. No. It's just a means to say this is how we got it, period. Done. 
Yeah, which is really weird because I I feel like even if we wouldn't have got a whole scene, maybe just a little more on it. Yeah. That probably would have helped as well. And I got to say, the additions of these scenes in the director's cut make it more fleshed out as far as anything concerned with this story. Oh, okay. And it's odd to me. I know that it's not even about content because there's a lot of scenes that are more extended in the director's cut. Okay. Just because they're like, oh, there's more cursing or a little nudity or drugs or whatever. Mm -hmm. But here... With scenes like this, it's just for the narrative. Yeah. There's nothing content-wise that's like, oh, well, you can't do that in a PG-13. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just the producers being like, runtime, runtime. Right. Which that's is, ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. As short as this is? Yes, yeah. dude. It's so <laughs> wild. But Finn shares that he used to do some beta testing himself, admitting that it's awesome at first, but becomes monotonous. I will admit, I had a lot of dream jobs when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Testing games was one of them. Oh, yeah. For sure. But then that got exploited with uh, Playtest on Black Mirror. Yeah, that's, that spider was, <laughs> that was too much, I think. <laughs> I won't even go back and watch the episode because of that thing. Really? Yeah, dude, it's I can't. It's so good. Yeah. It's Kurt Russell's son. It is. Maybe I'll close my eyes. <laughs> I'll get through it. Wunmi Masaku's in that one, too. Yes. Okay. Just All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, You'll be fine. I'll open my eyes. And play Fallout. <laughs> Look. <laughs> That big ant is a little much, I gotta say. <laughs> but Finn cracks open the case, suggesting that they burn around for Loomis. Hutch thinks it would be kind of weird, reminding Finn that this was the last thing that Loomis did before he died. But Finn just tells Hutch to sack up, saying that if Loomis was testing this game, that means that it could be barely legal, adding that it could be nice. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Well, it's not rated anything, I think is what he means, right? Yeah. Oh, he's being gross. Yeah, oh, Finn. <laughs> I'm really Finn. disappointed was, in you. It was really weird to hear that. I was like, okay, I get it. Well, whatever. But I was like, come on, guy. What? But again, it's 2006. Yeah. A lot of this doesn't age well. Yeah. <laughs> but that night at home, we find Hutch at his sink doing the dishes. We see that he's washing some red Solo cups and he's setting them to the side to dry. I will be honest. I was surprised that that is what he was washing. Mm -hmm. I am no stranger to struggle. A bitch is still struggling. Mm. We just buy really cheap cups and wash them. Yeah, I didn't know that this was a possibility. Yeah. Or was a thing that was even done. And they they really focus in on these cups. Yeah. To the point where you think it's going to come back. Yeah. (laughs) And it does not come back. Not at all. I think if we use this as maybe some kind of motivation for Hutch's character... Okay. Like if you beat Stay Alive, you win a million dollars or something. Or, you know, like why? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Why do you keep playing? Why are we focusing on this and then never talking about it again? Right. I understand we're kind of fleshing out the character, but we're really not if we don't explore it. Right. Is that what we're saying here? That he's broke? And that's why he's like, is that what this is interpreted as? Because he had a, it looks like he had a decent job. And his apartment was sweet. And the apartment's nice. He's got the biggest fucking bead curtain I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just confused. Yeah, because those cups are pretty flimsy. You can reuse them, but I mean, if you just squeeze it too hard, the fucking thing's gonna break. I, I looked at an article and they were like, you can actually dishwash them and i was like i don't think that's i wouldn't probably yeah, I not <laughs> you, well te- technically with enough like belief in yourself you can dishwash <laughs> <laughs> anything, anything. <laughs> but doesn't mean you should yeah <laughs> but upon hearing a noise outside of his kitchen hutch cautiously creeps into the hallway peering through his peephole to see the hallway outside out of nowhere swink 
played by Frankie Muniz, lurches up, scaring the hell out of Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie Muniz. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. It's I, Cody Banks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we were in like mid to late teens and that was one of the biggest draws of going to see this film for us yeah was Malcolm. Malcolm yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i w- and i will admit his outfit is very 2006 yeah it's yeah. the it's the visor it's yeah. the hat he got he was he's a blackjack dealer uh, as clearly, well. yeah <laughs> <laughs> something <laughs> <laughs> i heard on commentary that his casting was from him reading the script and his people calling the filmmakers mm-hmm. and they were very interested for frankie muniz to play hutch really yeah and the filmmakers were like look we're really excited that he's interested but we think we have a character that would be way better for him <sighs> which i think that swink is more in line with the malcolm style malcolm, of- yeah. Yes. yeah that's the thing that that period i was like america just really needed him to be the smart kid yeah yeah it's like yeah you can have this role but you're still the smartest guy in the room mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah that kind of bumps me out actually yeah and i mean i i could honestly see him playing hutch yeah, honestly. There's no, you know. It's just like, no, you're really good in this box. Yeah. Like, that's kind of <laughs> fucked up. What was funny to me is they <laughs> they said we, and it's funny if he's being cast into his type. Yeah. Because they're like, well, we also don't want people to be distracted by the fact that it is Malcolm from Malcolm in the Middle. And so what they had thought to do was to disguise him. And so they tried it and they said, this is just drawing more attention. To yeah. the That's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. That's what it did. It's like, is it, was it a fake beard? Was That's it like- ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, you know, the, I can't remember which show it is, but the one, cause he's got 5,000 of them, but the Gordon Ramsay show where he wears a <laughs> oh, fucking ridiculous yes. disguise. Yeah. And it's clearly just it's, Gordon yeah. Ramsay sitting yeah. at the table, but he has like a fake nose and a beard. <laughs> um, no, but that's, that's wild. Because it's like, here, you, you're not going to be Malcolm all the way. We're going to put this hat upside down on you. Malcolm oh, would that, never wear that. Yeah. No, not at all. That that didn't work. Good no. <laughs> <laughs> and even if that really, if you if if he was the lead, I feel like I guess they all are a little taller than him. So would it make him seem appear like he was younger and he wouldn't be hanging out with these older kids? Or does it, may, I mean, maybe just make it as their late teens? Well, nobody thinks I mean, Tom Cruise is a baby whenever he's in... A baby? <laughs> yeah, but I heard he does his own stunts. He does. He does. Sometimes. On a platform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, John Paul, are we laughing at short people? No, 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 no. I'm applauding him. It's just okay. funny that he's doing it. <laughs> it's like, we have no business. Yeah, no, no. We're, we're tiny. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry for everything I've said, guys. <laughs> but Hutch opens the door to his apartment, still connected by the chain bolt. Swink asking sarcastically if Hutch can come out and play. He's like, yes, no, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Can you repeat the question? (laughs) That's my only Malcolm joke. (laughs) (laughs) But Hutch just tells Swink that he scared him, and Swink continues the sarcasm, remarking that he would love to come in and thanks Hutch for asking. Hutch does let him inside his apartment. You know, I'm just realizing maybe that's the Rosemary's Baby influence and reference is a character named hutch okay i'm trying i mean he mentioned it at the top i don't recall anything that fits into anything but there's no not at all but okay yeah yeah and he didn't mention it at the top i did (laughs) (laughs) swings like i made you some vitamin shakes (laughs) drink it all (laughs) but swink with a bag at his hip says that he just wants to make sure that they're all set up 
He then gives his condolences for the loss of Loomis, awkwardly stumbling his way towards saying that it stinks. Hutch thanks him and says that it'll be good to hang out with everyone and get his mind off of things. Shortly following Swink's entrance are October and Finn, who is carrying their modded out computers and cases. October seems confused, asking Hutch if there's something that he wants to tell her. And we soon see why when October is followed inside by Abigail. Hutch introduces Abigail as kind of a friend of Loomis's and says that she's going to hang out for a little while. And by kind of a friend of Loomis's, he means not a friend of Loomis's at <laughs> yeah. all. Yeah. Who is being a fucking disrespectful creep and taking pictures of people at his funeral. Yeah. Everybody say hi to Abigail. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I can go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you invite me? <laughs> She likes to take fucked up pictures of people. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah, I. It makes no sense. That's why I was so so convinced of the fact that she's playing this role of this yeah. new person mm-hmm. who kind of gloms on, weasels her way into the group, and then oh my god, like uh, Mary Beth, you yeah. know, um, she's just. I, d- I don't know why she's here. I don't know why he would invite her. I don't like, I, 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 it's very frustrating. It is. And then later on again, like I said too, I feel like if she would have been given a different role or there would have been a different, played a different part, this could have paid off later. But just having her there is just like, okay, what, wh- why? And you're right. We don't know that she was Loomis's friend. We just know she was there and she, she wasn't. She even said, I'm more of a friend of Sarah's than yeah. I am Loomis. I feel like that could have been even better is if we get our main group here. Yeah. And he says, and by the way, guys, I invited somebody I met at the funeral. She's grieving too. She's going through it. Yes. Yeah. Her friend was there that night with Loomis be cool whatever anything instead of her just being there and then october clearly is there something you want to tell me it feels like they're dating yes or it's a it's a will they won't they kind of a thing at the very least i i'll be honest i don't enjoy that because i don't know what's i because i do feel like you're saying the will are they or are they not gonna hook up did they hook up or didn't they hook up before and then now we introduce abigail and it's like Okay, so is this the love interest now, or is this what? Yeah, I just feel like it gives October a strange arc. Yeah, because from here on out, it's just jealousy. Yeah, that that's what I'm saying. It was confusing. It's like what the fuck. But October and Finn try to greet Abigail, but she just leans over to Hutch, telling him that she has to pee. Hutch directs her to the restroom, and October holsters her unshaken hand introduce yourself yeah Yeah. but she's so quirky you guys like she's not like other girls it's quirky rude is that (laughs) that, (laughs) is that a new synonym right talk to my friends please yeah yeah Yeah. or you can just leave you know what this is a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) that's wild october is the whole story he's like excuse me sister can you take a shit (laughs) (laughs) can you talk to my friends for a second (laughs) for a second yeah it takes you Five seconds of hello, I'm Abigail. Yeah. Hello, I'm Abigail. Hello, I'm Abigail. I gotta use your bathroom. I gotta yeah. be. Yeah. And it's kind of rude to show up like that at someone's house. Like, no, I waited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I could have gone. Me and my bladder are <laughs> both in attendance. <laughs> I ran out of toilet paper at my place. Yeah. I know you got some. <laughs> but Finn remarks that Abigail has body karate going on because it's 2006. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
But as they all sit down together, October remarks that anyone who says size doesn't matter has never played a third-person shooter, and Finn calls her out of her name. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is more elaborated on in the director's cut, and she kind of goes into more detail about certain things. Okay. Finn's reaction still is unwarranted. Yeah. But it's a little more explained. Okay. And another thing that is explained is there's a deleted scene right here after this. Uh-huh. Because Hutch goes to check on Abigail, and they talk to each other through the door, and she needs toilet paper. And so he tells her where it is, but there's also a crack in the door. And so there's this weird, like, oh my God, kind of like almost flirty situation with her on the toilet. <laughs> but he tells her in this scene how he met all of these other friends. Yeah. And how they know each other and how long they've known each other. And so it fleshes out their relationship more in a way that is organic and expositional through a new person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's maybe like, maybe a minute and a half. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Yeah. And it also gives you this little moment between Abigail and Hutch where it's like, oh, so they are talking outside of what we see in the theatrical cut. Mm -hmm. Right. So it kind of explains more of a connection that we see later. Well, that, I feel like that, even that small, we said it's a minute and a half. Maybe, yeah. That would have helped their, for a scene later, them connecting right here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This whole, I'm vulnerable. I'm using the bathroom. You're like watching the door for me and we're still having yeah. this conversation. It would have paid off later. Cut mm -hmm. cut the crack in the door and we can yeah, keep we it. Don't, yeah, we don't need <laughs> Yeah, it's that. a little creepy. On yeah, <laughs> we can keep it. Like he cracked the door open? And, I think like, she opens the door, but then he takes a cheeky glance. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's wrong. Yes. Yeah. So it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> he didn't have permission. No. No, yeah, <laughs> it's the way you summed it up. Was just like <laughs> <laughs> but later, the group is assembled in front of a series of screens with their headsets on and controllers in their hand. When Abigail returns, she snaps a photo of them before sitting down next to Hutch. She going to do that all night? <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he yeah, reacts but... like Josh He's in, in cities. He's like, you know, I don't like yeah. her. <laughs> Oh, fuck, he jumped her? <laughs> why, why, <Yeah>. why? <laughs> but instead of doing that, <laughs> Hudge promises to watch Abigail's back in the game. Swink then puts on a wrist glove and Finn shit talks him for it. Finn then asks if the boss man is gaming with them tonight and Hutch calls out to Miller over the headset. We see Miller's floor of the office building is the only one still lit, and we find him inside of his office signing in. I don't know how Loomis's physical copy of this game is allowing Miller to, <laughs> Thank you. to connect to any oh of this. Oh, my well, God. <laughs> I know that they're used to, and I, again, I, just, I, I left the beginning of this year, but I know there was landline parties. People would, you know what I mean, connect yeah. and all that. Um, but this is seems very uh, way ahead of anything that gaming was doing in 06. Yeah, and I will admit there is some stuff that in, in here is clearly like, it's clearly like evil. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that kind of a connection is is something yeah, that Elizabeth no. Bathory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no way she's giving them free Wi-Fi, no, free dude. Game Pass, no. free copies of the game. It's like, no, no, no. She's you like, gotta tell pay. your friends. Yeah, yeah, you gotta pay some kind of subscription fee. Which kind of undermines That's so funny. the ending as well. If you just need one copy to fucking yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, cool. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but Miller shares that Loretta called his wife and said that he got caught up in a partner meeting, so he's good to go. 
No one responds to this, and Finn just takes off his headset and levels with the group, telling them, Enough chatter. The name of this game is Stay Alive. He says they don't know much else other than that they're not supposed to have it. He shuts off the lights, then licks Swink's controller, passing it back to him and telling him to touch it. Swink is not pleased. I, I wouldn't be pleased either. I will say, though, I'm a little more concerned with licking somebody else's dirty ass controller yeah. rather than yeah. touching the lick on my controller. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's gross. But, dude, you should probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's like I, I licked your doorknob, dude. Joke's on yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's happening inside of me? <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. No. But on the five separate screens in front of the group, as ominous music plays, we get text reading. Bellman Games presents Stay Alive. So Bellman is a portmanteau of the director and screenwriter, their surnames. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And I will say it makes a lot more sense in this version because there's nothing regarding the creation of this game in this version. Okay. So it's just a little fun Easter egg. Yeah. yeah. But the camera pulls back from an ornate cover of a book resting in a pool of blood before opening to a page that reads... The Prayer of Elizabeth. Hutch tries to skip past it, but the game won't let him. That's fucking annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot stand when people skip cutscenes and important oh, shit the first yeah. time you're playing the game. You've never seen this before. He's like, no, yeah. fuck this. It's like, no, dude, read I'm, it. Yeah. I'm deciding for everyone. We, yeah. don't, we don't need to see this. <laughs> <laughs> Abigail suggests that he's probably supposed to read it. But Swink doubts this, insisting that a voice-activated game is next-generation technology, and Abigail just shrugs it off. Again. Yeah. You are telling us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only And she has admittedly said that she doesn't play games, she doesn't know much about them. Yeah. And so we're here, she knows the next step to this? That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Do, do you see yeah. why my theory was theorying? Yeah. <laughs> but Hutch begins to read the prayer each word disappearing as he reads it out loud, which everyone reacts to, and Abigail looks quite smug for being correct. Swink says that it's like a seance or something, and Finn suggests that they skip the cinematic foreplay because he wants to butter this muffin. He does not say butter this muffin in the (laughs) director's cut. What does he say? He says the F word. Oh, really? Yeah. He wants to fuck the muffin? Well, not the muffin. (laughs) The game? <laughs> no, he just says the he says the F word. He sings oh, it though. Okay. <laughs> I gotta I gotta see. That. I know. I'm gonna like, yeah. I need to look that, it up. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the F is saved for later. It is. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Okay. But he's just McPoyle here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, he's just missing his mouth. That's yeah. it. <laughs> well, dude, at this point, I think he's been playing McPoyle for a year or two already. That's yeah. great. <laughs> That's great. But Hutch asks everyone to say it all together, and they do, including Miller, who leans closer to his screen. Come to me, clouds. May you rise as an evil storm born to rip them open. Let the cover of night bear witness and destroy those who resist, so they shall harm me not. May the blood of many cleanse me, preserving beauty eternal. I pray you. Now, I was writing the script, Mm -hmm. and I was like, these fools... Have you not seen The Evil Dead? And I'm like, oh, wait, I have to say that on the fucking Yeah. <laughs> so you're fucked. Yeah. yeah. Um, it did make me laugh, though, that the line about the clouds came back when they all started reading it together. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's start over. Well, yeah, yeah. Do it right. Do it right. <laughs> Which I, I do think it's cool. But again, 
if the game is not moving until we start reading this, that's a problem. Yeah. Especially if this technology isn't available at this point. Yeah. How does my game... I don't even have my headset on. How does the game <laughs> know I'm saying this? I think we need to turn this shit off. This is beta? Yeah. yeah. yeah Orphan, no. you can play by yourself. Yeah, tell us what happens. Really what you, yeah. <laughs> but just as the prayer is complete and the book closes... A shadowy specter moves behind the group without any of them noticing. As the book dips beneath the blood on screen, a voice provided by Rick Green announces, Welcome. If you're listening to this, it means you made a grave mistake. You spoke the words, and soon you will die for it. But the voice continues that the evil of this place now courses through their veins, and they have been marked for death. Each of the group begins to customize their characters for the game, each one very conveniently acting as their avatar in style and vibe. Except Swink, who makes his character way more muscular than necessary. That was great. <laughs> that reminded me the episode of King of the Hill where they're retelling when they're firemen yeah. and they're retelling yeah. it and Dale's all buff and he has the long hair. <laughs> it's like, live your dreams, yeah. Swink. Yes. But the voice continues that their choices have brought them here to Garouge Plantation, which was opened 200 years ago by Countess Elizabeth Bathory as a finishing school for young girls. False. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know this is just in the game, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll allow it for here. Yeah. I did look up Garouge too, because it very much felt like it should be looked up. Right. And the definition that I got was virtuous blood or virgin's blood, which does in yeah. the context of the real story of Elizabeth Bathory, it does make sense. Okay. I, Google doesn't think much of me <laughs> <laughs> because I looked up and I typed in a proper exactly, garouge. And the first result that I got for garouge was a shelter for automotive vehicles. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Should I park on the street or in the garage? Yeah. <laughs> in the car hole? <laughs> um, another thing that I did find as far as uh, looking at a few voodoo glossaries okay. was a translation to red eyes, mm. which I couldn't replicate in a translator. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, you're probably much closer. I mean, either way, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, this whole, the whole aspect of it being on a, <laughs> on a plantation. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's okay. Yeah. Okay. In New Orleans. In New yeah. Orleans, no less. Yeah. But regardless of the definition, the name sounds familiar to October, who says that her grandma used to tell her and Finn if they didn't get home before dark, they'd be taken off by something. Finn just reminds her of when their grandma used to wear her panties on the outside, but October breezes past that, assuring the group that she has heard of this before. The voice on screen continues that what happened to the girls at Garouge was so depraved that all accounts were stricken from the public record, but the evil of Garouge has been reborn, and their salvation lies beyond the gates of this plantation. For me, that's too long on the video game to talk. <laughs> you, that... And the and again for me, this should not have been October. This should have been Abigail. She should have started spouting off facts and then being like, What? And then being like, What were you really doing at dude's funeral? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Are you even really Sarah's friend? And then her spit these facts out. 
the game that's too you made this game and then explained cursed me then explained all this shit and it's like, <laughs> dude can i just get to the actions like well, fuck the tutorial we already Where are we, going? Like, <laughs> we already screwed up and they're like but here's how you're gonna die yeah, it's like, yeah. jesus Christ. <laughs> it's funny to me again this is the beta but this is pretty fleshed out at yeah. the beginning but it's funny that it's like you have to say <laughs> you have to say the curse first mm-hmm. then you can create your little character yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then i'm gonna tell you how you fucked up like yeah. that's very funny i will admit for me personally especially whenever we saw this in the film the first time mm-hmm. i was loving every second of yeah this. i love the way that it opens i like the way that the announcer is basically telling them you fucked up yeah mm-hmm. i appreciate the story being told but i do agree that it could be told in a different way yeah or have different people People who because in this version it makes sense that october says that right in the director's cut october is not the person who explains any of this okay and so i actually like that version more and i will tell you why when we get there okay because here in the theatrical cut it does kind of seem a little rushed and a little strange mm-hmm. but it's just i don't know it's and it's kind of trying to marry these two things of this theatrical cut where we've lost a lot okay and this director's cut where we explain more and elaborate in a much better way yeah mm-hmm. and it's only 15 minutes longer and we'll never yeah you know <laughs> should have just left it in yeah, yeah. And honestly, frankly, you should have just made this an R-rated film. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially for the crimes of Elizabeth Bathory. Okay. Yeah. But we then watch as the camera on screen dives through the clouds, just as it did at the opening of the film, and we find our group's video game avatars standing on the stone walkway leading towards the Garouge plantation. The voice tells them that their only chance is to uncover the horrible truth of Garouge plantation and stop the evil. But in order to do that... They must stay alive. Swink admits that he's starting to get a little creeped out, and everyone just tells him to shut the hell up. Great friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm like, dude, nothing's happened yet. Well, I think I would be creeped out after the voice recognition yeah. thing. That, okay, I will give you that. And then I'm like, that voice said we're going to die, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, fair enough. And the last person that played this game did die. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you somebody would think, we know. Yeah. Yeah, you would think Hutch would be a little more in touch with that yeah. mm-hmm. or well, upset by that you would think but he's just like yeah well, let's get in like let's or, get the cutscene yeah he's like well, should my shirt be blue or <laughs> <laughs> does this look like my hair <laughs> <laughs> or even just oh this is what loomis heard or seen before he died this must the anything way, anything to like give him some snap that he knows what's going on because at this point he's just like huh this does look cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing it very just as a game instead of how he came to get this game. Yeah. I feel like as fresh as this is, I don't I don't know that I'd be able to sit here and play this. And I think there should be little cutaways to those reactions. Yeah. yeah. Because the announcer just said, and you soon will die. Yeah. He should be like, oh, you know, like something. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. But as Hutch's character takes a step forward, that low rumble that Loomis heard in his house before he died leaves Hutch a little uneasy, and everyone feels it through a vibration in their controller. I will say this low rumble is pretty smart. I love that. Yes. That's mm-hmm. the one thing I will say that was very effective for me. Yeah. I don't think it was utilized enough, but... Ugh. 
I I feel I thought it was them doing the dice move too much towards really the, well, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, that is fair. But I mean, at the same time, you're like, well, every time danger approaches, we do hear this. Yes, so it makes sense. But I feel like I don't know. I like it. I do like it. Yeah, yeah. Because it is especially something that is appealing to people if you play games. Right. You're like, this happens. Yeah. I remember fighting Psycho Mantis on Metal Gear Solid, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, he moved the whole controller. You guys don't understand. Yeah. No. I think he's in this. Sis- I think he's in my system. He's reading my memory card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but upon feeling the vibration, Hutch says that it must mean that they're close to something. And Swink says that maybe something is close to them. That's a good line. That's a very good line. (laughs) But just then, next to a jagged gray tree, the body of a young girl in a tattered dress rises from the ground. She twitches her way over to Hutch's character, and Hutch is hesitant to shoot her, asking for assistance, but no one offers it. It is funny to see his character turn around. (laughs) Yeah. But Hutch is left with no choice then but to just start blasting. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway. The first shot knocks her down. The second shot splits her in half. And the third shot finally kills her. As her body melts away and her spirit rises transparently, a single red rose is left behind on the ground. The announcer shares, when fear cripples you, when death's shadow surrounds you, drop a rose. It will help you stay alive. I love this. Yeah. yeah. Because it's giving you this feeling of actually playing the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't love that we seem to forget it for the majority of the movie mm-hmm. and then remember it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it is really funny later because <laughs> he said drop a rose, but later they're like 14 roses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like we need those. It is like Mary Beth when she Stop drops yelling. the thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Stop yeah. wasting it. <laughs> But the group adds the rose to their inventory, and Swink adds that the rose will give them a chance to escape the ghosts if they can't face them. So do they all get the rose? I don't they know. <laughs> oh, yeah. How I'm does just really work confused. Here? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Do we share it? Is it just a free-for-all? Like I'm confused by the gameplay. Yeah, because Borderlands, you can toggle that all on and off. Uh-huh. Well, maybe we each get a petal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one thorn. Right. <laughs> But October concurs Swink's thoughts, confidently sharing that the undead can't cross the twig of a red rose. Finn says that this is what happens when you read too much goth chiclet, telling her to lay off the incense, which gets a smirk from Abigail. But Finn continues that while the game is fun, it's moving at a snail's pace. I will say that little smirk from Abigail after that line, it seems like we're setting up more conflict. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really arrive. No, not at all. Mm-mm. Because October already has the tension between what's happening with Hutch and Abigail. Yeah. And then Finn talking shit to October, Abigail liking it. It's like something is going to happen. It does not happen. Right. Well, we have two women in this film. We got to make them hate each other and try to compete. That's why. I mean, yeah. it's 2006, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but just after remarking that the game is moving at a snail's pace... We cut to the group engaging in a firefight in a cemetery with more ghoulish little girls, Finn shouting into his headset, giving orders and calling his teammates noobs. I was like, the way that this cut, I was like, is this the same game? Yeah. <laughs> this can't be the same game that Loomis was playing No, at well, the beginning. The game that Loomis was playing at the beginning was a cutscene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> this is gameplay. <laughs> yeah. 
And I will say, the, just the use of the word noobs is like, yeah, is I the advisors like, and we call each other noobs. <laughs> <laughs> Jot that down. <laughs> but firing wildly at the approaching dead and making their way through the rows of stone, Miller finds his way to Bathory's tomb. And against Hutch's explicit direction not to, Miller closes the door behind him. Inside the tomb, he walks alone, past marble statues, candles lit on the floor beside him, and down a set of stairs leading into a dungeon. Hutch and Abigail find their characters inside of the house, and Abigail stops when she notices a wardrobe glowing a bright yellow. You know what? Yeah. Mm. That's pretty good. Yes, yeah. That is pretty good. I didn't put that together until right now. I will give it that. Yeah. That's pretty good. And... And I know, again, it's a nitpicky thing, but if they're gamers, she because the way she says, she's like, oh, I bet there's something there or whatever. And it gets worse. And nobody says anything. Yeah. It's like, you guys would know. <laughs> yeah, there's something behind Shut it. Shut up. Yeah. It's like all of our wardrobes glow yeah, all the time. That <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean anything. Noob. <laughs> Noob. <laughs> but she does. She asks Hutch if there's something inside and he compliments her eagle eye, and even Finn congratulates her. Come on, man. <laughs> not Finn. Maybe Swank? Finn would not. Yeah. I think maybe just Hutch, because he's clearly, yeah. you he's know. infatuated. Yeah. yeah but Everyone's Finn... like, dude, it's a glowing wardrobe. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the wardrobe has a side quest, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> but once they open it, it leads to a secret room, heading up a flight of stairs to find a painted portrait of Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Underneath the painting, they find a book encased in glass. Abigail asks if it's a diary, and October answers annoyed. Yeah, the one at the beginning of the game with the prayer in it? I mean, she's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was like five minutes ago. (laughs) 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 Got the same seal and insignia on the front. You think this is a... That's how the game started. (laughs) (laughs) But they then call out to Miller, asking if he's okay. And on his screen, we see his character exploring the tunnels of a dungeon. Finn tells him that there's nothing down there and that the doors are locked. But Miller tells him that they're open now and he's exploring. He also says that he's owning fools, which October mocks him for saying. And she's right to do it. (laughs) (laughs) But Miller just smokes a cigarette, fully engrossed in the game. But he stops at the entrance to a room when his controller starts to vibrate. Hutch urges him to drop a rose, and he does, but he shares that it was his last one. Miller then enters the room, describing it to the group. It's filled with chains, hooks, torture devices, candles, and pools of blood. He gets flashes of dead girls hanging and drained of their blood, and out of nowhere, the Countess rushes for his character with a dagger. The music grows tense as he's overcome, the dagger piercing his character's throat, the Countess leaving him to bleed out on an altar. Miller says that she got him, and he thinks it was, (laughs) quote, the dame from the painting. (laughs) The painting he never saw. No. Oh. (laughs) God damn it, dude. And I don't know, I was I was watching, I was like, is he doing a Paul Giamatti fucking impression? I was like, what? I was like, what? <laughs> like, what is what, this? Yeah, I was like, what? That's not how you talk, man. I was like, come on. <laughs> hey, dude, he was in Zodiac 2. He sure oh, was. That's right. He sure was. But he says it was that countess. And Miller seems uneasy as he tells the group that he didn't even get a chance to fight her. 
I will say it is kind of wild. These roses don't mean anything really. No. Because we just saw, you know, it dispels that. He dropped a rose before entering the room in the room itself. Yeah. And he's immediately murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder if maybe it has like a cooldown. Like, do you throw a rose? Uh, you get it for fifteen seconds, but you got to wait two minutes to use it again. They maybe. don't. They don't make it. Clear. Yeah, they didn't. No, it's also the beta. Maybe they're like, yeah, well, maybe <laughs> they worked out the roses. Well, yet. because the way that they introduced it was almost like it was a save point. That's what I would okay. think. Mm. But oh, I guess this is an MMO. I don't. I don't know what. Yeah, I, don't I don't know, know, know what this game is. I don't think they know what this game is. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> But they ask Miller if he plans to get back into the game. But before he can answer, in a flash of lightning, Miller sees someone rushing past a window down the hall near the reception desk of the office. He calls out to the figure, and when asked, he tells the group that it's probably some rent-a-cop trying to scare him. Why? (laughs) Why? Yeah. Phil does that every night. (laughs) (laughs) But he tries to move past it, reminding the group that you know what they say, You play the game too long, you start seeing shit or having seizures. Swink agrees that games can cause seizures, and he starts to cite studies about perspective realities, which Finn shrugs off, joking that Swink has probably read them all. (laughs) Is that an insult? I don't know. He's like, Malcolm, please, hold on on a second. Um, What got me is Miller is a gamer from what we've established, even though he was wrong about the Silent Hill shit. Mm -hmm. He games. That's the whole reason he was asking Hutch about advice whatever right Mm -hmm. why would you think if you regularly game that sitting in your office and playing for a few hours is going to make you start hallucinating shit that is not the first thing that i would think yeah if i'm playing the game for a little bit and then i see somebody walk (laughs) walk past in the kitchen i'm not going to be like oh my god it's like is that arthur morgan like i was playing too long (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy But Swing says that he has read all of those studies, telling Finn that the more you play, the more your subconscious mind perceives the game world as reality. (laughs) No. John Paul, is that true? No. (laughs) JP's like, not at all, Arthur Morgan. (laughs) I got to go collect these rings now before I die. I get what you're doing. I get what you're establishing, especially moving forward. Yes. Right. But it's just like, again, it feels like this is a movie made for gamers, but also a movie that is going to piss gamers (laughs) off. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think right here and then us kind of talking about it and you mentioning that it, it, but I guess it does. And that may be what is the kind of the confusion because is the game haunted or is it the game was developed to make you think things are happening in real life that they're not and you're really causing this harm on yourself? Because that would be interesting. Right, but Uh that's kind of sounds like what he's saying. Oh, you think that the game is real in real life. Okay, so if I think somebody's chasing me or there's a fucking so- a thousand sonics after me i'm gonna <laughs> run into traffic or i'm gonna you know try to get away whatever and cause an accident and then, then all your rings point, come out yeah, right. yeah, yeah more rings i gotta go get rings <laughs> but you know what i mean yeah and that's the reality where you're slipping thinking that the game is but it seems like this game is haunted with this conversation that swink is suggesting it kind of would be cool to go in a book of shadows direction yeah yeah but fucking witch (laughs) (laughs) 
But Swink goes on and on, Finn sarcastically miming for him to tell him more. But October politely tells Swink that while that's fascinating, they should probably call it a night. Hutch agrees, adding that some of them have to be at work tomorrow. He has tomorrow off. Yes! (laughs) I was leaning in to say that. Uh, well, unless he's like not me, but yeah, not me yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how long it took for the funeral and everything. They, they really put that together as if that day at the office he went to the funeral. But yeah, I don't they, know. yeah, yeah, that's I don't a fair know. point. But Hutch says for Miller to rejoin them next time, and Miller mutters that he will, clearly distracted. Hutch then thanks the group for being with him tonight because he really needed it, and Finn leads a toast to Loomis, which the others repeat. Miller does too, but then he fearfully stares into the hall in front of him. Later that night, from the reception desk, we watch Miller exit his office with his belongings. The creak of his door cuts through the silence of the office as lightning strikes outside, but as Miller stands under the red light of the exit sign, he watches as his office door creaks open yet again on its own. He nervously doubles back, and once he reaches the door, bursts through it with a scream to scare any possible intruders, but no one's there. So he closes the door again, and when he turns to lock it, he accidentally drops his keys. When he leans down to retrieve them, we see the silhouette of a figure in red down the long hallway in the distance. But when he reaches his feet again, Miller is all alone. He heads back toward the reception desk, but stops when his office door creaks open yet again, and a low, pulsing rumble is heard. The figure shrieks past quickly by the reception desk, but Miller somehow doesn't notice, heading back to his office slowly. He creeps underneath his desk and he finds the source of the rumbling, reaching for his vibrating controller, and once he seizes it, it stops. That controller was working overtime. Yeah. Yeah. And you turned your game off. If your controller's still going, I'm not touching that. That's a concern. Yeah. Yeah. But when he stands up, we see in a mirror in his office that a figure is now behind him, and when she raises her head, Miller realizes that it's the Countess. It's the dame from the painting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Miller hears a blade being unsheathed, and after a quick montage of horrific images from the game and a couple of images that we'll see later in the film, which is kind of annoying, (laughs) (laughs) Miller screams. I thought that the reveal in the mirror was really cool. Yeah, very much. There is something having to do with a mirror that we'll talk about later, but I appreciated this because of this thing that we learn about mirrors later and everything. So, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I just want to, it's a long way of saying I liked it. (laughs) I also enjoyed it, Nay. But the next morning, Hutch arrives at work and the lobby is crowded with employees and police officers. A crying Loretta rushes over to him and through her tears, she just tells him, it's Miller. You're never going to see me again, Hutch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right? we don't, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it was my birthday yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Hutch continues down the hallway, past police officers who just let him by for some reason, until he encounters Detective Thibodeau, played by Wendell Pierce. It's Bunk Moreland. Yes. All right. From The Wire. Yeah. I, was, oh, okay. I was stoked. I did not remember him being in this. I did not either. And I will say there is a lot of opportunity for this character that completely gets dropped in the theatrical version. Yeah. Is there more in the... There is There is one extra scene in the director's cut that kind of lends a little more. But honestly, it just sets up even more for shit that doesn't happen. Okay. So I don't, you know... 
Because I feel like there comes a point where there should be this convergence. Yes. And there is not. Because after a certain point, it's like, oh, I guess we were done with that part. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But Thibodeau tells him that Miller's office is a crime scene and calls for a curtain to be placed over the door. Hutch tries pushing past them, exclaiming that he doesn't understand. He just spoke to Miller a few hours ago. They're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) This detail piques the detective's interest. And a little while later, he brings Hutch a cup of water and sits down to talk to him. So if you're Hutch, is this enough for you to connect the dots that maybe there's something wrong with that game? Absolutely. You should have connected that when you turned the game on last night. And you know that your friend died. Yeah. Because I'm like, how do you, how do you not? Yeah. 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 My friend played this and he died the same night. This friend played this and he died. This, like, that's come on it is and not only that i think when he when he was like yeah i talked to him last night and there was like you know what yeah. i was like man you probably i fucked up yeah like, you probably should have kept your fucking mouth you know shut. what's funny is the detectives think yeah i talked to him last, last night when i was killing yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, did no no <laughs> that's not true at all no <laughs> but Thibodeau says that he knows it isn't easy but he asks Hutch to explain what happened last night, assuming that he was here in the office with Miller. But Hutch clarifies that they were playing a video game together, Hutch at his home and Miller at the office, despite his wife's claim that he was working late. Detective King, played by Rio Hackford, takes notes and is directed to get the names of the other four people that they were playing with online when Thibodeau asks him to. Thibodeau learns that Hutch only lives about 10 minutes away, and King remarks that those figures could place him at the scene of the crime. Why am I getting so much backlash? I know. <laughs> what the fuck? I just got to work. <laughs> yeah. And even if that, like I said, I know he was like, he fucked up. But if I'm if I'm enough to be like, I talked to him last night. <laughs> yeah. I highly doubt that I'm going to give myself <laughs> up like that. <laughs> I know a lot of a lot of killers insert. Right. Absolutely. But at the same time, this is too much. Yeah. yeah. Thibodeau does tell King to calm down. And Hutch says that he just wants to know what happened. Thibodeau gives Hutch his sincere condolences and his business card, saying that he may need to speak with him again. After Thibodeau walks away, Hutch peeks into Miller's office to find him sprawled across his desk on his back, blood soaking his shirt from his cut open throat. But we then match cut to a shot of Miller's character in the game, lying dead on the altar from the same angle and in the same position as Miller in his office. We see that this is an image on a screen at the video game cafe, and Finn calls everyone over to take a look, saying that he thinks he found the boss man's body. Once the group joins him, Finn asks Hutch if he said that Miller was stabbed to death, but Hutch can't bring himself to look at the monitor. It's called tact, you fuck rag. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. Leave her alone. Yeah, that's wild. Finn just remarks that he's probably going to have to quit hanging around with him, which was... Uh, too soon yeah (laughs) october snaps at her brother telling him that if he had any less sense he'd be half a penny be careful with that joke it's an antique (laughs) (laughs) it's rodney danger (laughs) finn gets no respect (laughs) (laughs) but she orders finn to close the game but he asks why because they found miller's dead body in a video game Swink reminds her that it's survival horror, and Finn says that he thinks everyone is just overreacting. 
I feel like the reason that we should stop playing is not because you found his body in the video game, but maybe because you found his body in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you're really not giving proper weight to that fact. And yeah. it looks exactly like the video game. Yeah. yeah. But Abigail suggests that Finn show a little respect. And Finn retorts that the way he shows respect to gamers is by gaming, shouting that they should boot it up to Miller. This is not about Miller <laughs> no. <laughs> at all. I understand he's being a lot, but again, he's fucking funny. Uh -huh. he and it's like, God damn, dude, what are you talking about? He's awful. Yeah. And again, it's saved because it's Jimmy Simpson. Yeah. yeah. But Hutch scolds Finn that he's not playing for Miller or for Loomis. Abigail adding that Finn didn't even know them. I, I feel like this is being made. This is kind of being blown up a little bigger than it should be because <laughs> Finn is just talking. I, look, I understand it's very insensitive, but Finn's talking about playing a game. And Hutch is like, this is no way to honor the memory of Chad Elderson. <laughs> and it's like, can we just like, let's take it down a notch. Abigail, who lost her. her friend, isn't even talking about her or anything. She also died after playing this game. Yeah, yeah. Why haven't you said Sarah's name since fucking the funeral? Yeah. That's because, true. Because they forgot that in the screenplay. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. First of all, that was the fireman episode of King of the Hill again. <laughs> and secondly, why are you still here? <laughs> She's like, I'm part of this group now too. And this is not like... Who are you? But again, it makes, for me, it makes more sense if she's the one bringing the facts instead of October. It would. Yeah. She has a purpose to be here. Uh, this happened before or something, or this is a story I've been tracking. And then again, later, something that happens, that would that would just be inserted there. Yeah. And honestly, with the camera, you can lend to a more investigative background. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, it just, it's a missed opportunity. Yeah. But Finn snarks that if Hutch wants to spend all day in the fetal position, that's up to him. But he's not going to. And he reminds Abigail that he literally met her goddamn yesterday so she can kiss his ass. Thank you. <laughs> He's yeah. absolutely right. <laughs> Who the fuck do you think you are, first of all? I, Only my friends can yell at me yeah. like that. And I own this cafe, yeah. so, yeah. so oh, get yeah. the fuck out. Get to stepping. Hutch chides Finn, and Finn just tells everyone to get out so he can play in peace. This earns a peace sign from Abigail, and as everyone piles out of the room, October appeals to Finn asking him to take it easy and giving him a bit of a hug before leaving too. But outside, on a second floor balcony, October checks in on Hutch, who says he's fine, but then she directs her line of questioning to Abigail, who she says she doesn't know much about, except that she can't game for shit. She's like, I found the wardrobe. <laughs> I'm not getting enough credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my superfluous skinny scarf. <laughs> You're not going to fucking talk to me like that. <laughs> But Abigail shares that she grew up in Georgia. Her father is an architect and her mother is a kindergarten teacher. And she's going to go to Princeton in the fall. October sums it up that Abigail has the perfect little family back home, which Abigail doesn't completely agree with. But when October lights a cigarette in her mouth, the flame of the lighter ignites a memory for Hutch, watching flames travel across the floor of his childhood home and over a shot of an NES controller. He jumps back and October apologizes, when Abigail notices his reaction, he just explains that he has a thing with fire. It's a long story, but it's no big deal. But it it, it is... It's a huge kind deal. Of, yeah, a yeah. very big yeah. deal. Okay. Hutch shifts gears and is clearly pondering something. And when October prods, he shares that he's obviously made a connection between how Miller died in the game and how he died in real life. Abigail admits that she isn't much of a gamer, 
but guesses that there's only a certain number of ways that you can die in a game, attributing it to bad timing. Swink disagrees, explaining that in a sense, the timing is bad because Hutch over-responds to deaths, but that the coincidence of finding Miller's game body and his real body in the same way is actually perfect timing, which is why they're all so freaked out. So I always get really, really annoyed at writing that is just trying to make somebody sound smart by using yeah. big words for no reason. Thank you. Uh, intelligent people don't really talk that way. Um, take it from me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> take it from my dumbass. Smart people don't talk like that. No, but they don't. It, it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel like he actually even hangs out with them because he goes off on these things and they're just like, whatever. Okay, yeah. yeah. Or just it, straight up shut up, swing. Yeah, yeah. It was just really annoying because I'm like, that, di- that the dialogue does not. We get it. He's smart. You don't need to make him a cartoon. Yeah. And can we even just talk about what he's even saying? He over responds to deaths. He. Yeah. What does that mean? His childhood friend died and he was having a fucking gaming hangout like the next night. I don't think That's... he's overreacting to anything. <laughs> yeah. I think he's taking everything in stride. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that's that's ridiculous. I just ridiculous. Yeah, agree hundred <laughs> percent. But back inside the game cafe, Finn carries his alienware laptop around, remarking that the game is better in single player anyway. This is when I noticed that 99%, excuse me, 100% of the laptops yeah. <laughs> in this film are Alienware. Yeah, that had to be sponsored by them or something. I can prove that to you. Oh, really? Yeah, because I opened up the DVD case and one of the little inserts is an ad for Alienware. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> it's like in your face. Yeah, It's it funny is. too because 100% of the laptops used to make the show are also Alienware. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> We're not sponsored. No. Yeah. <laughs> we That's could, the difference, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, we're open to it. <laughs> but as Finn takes a seat and he sings, dickheads, <laughs> we see that in the game, his character holds a mirror, using it to look behind him, and it shatters when he catches the reflection of the Countess, remembering that she hates mirrors. Since when, Finn? This has not been established. Yeah. <laughs> what? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. The thing we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> And wasn't the death in the mirror earlier? Yeah. And here's the thing. Yeah. I will say that there is a portion in the director's cut whenever Miller is in his office playing. Yeah. He does a few lines of coke off of a mirror and then he puts the mirror back on the wall. Later, when we return to the office, we see that the mirror is shattered. Mm. Ah, okay. But they had to take it out because of the coke or Exa- what? Yes. Jesus yeah. Christ. Not every movie needs to be for every age. Yeah. If that is not the story you're trying to tell, just fucking suck it up, dude. I'm sorry. Yeah. It sounds like there were so many sacrifices made at the detriment of the film. Yes. To make yeah. it to where fucking teenagers could go see this. It's not worth it. It ruined our night. It ru- <laughs> <laughs> That's the most important part. <laughs> that it did. Yes. <laughs> cut the coke out have the boss miller yeah when he comes in his office when we see him gaming whatever the the mirror is fine when he's leaving after everything happens and he's going out of the office the mirror shattered you're right we get a little hint they're like no take it all out yeah (laughs) he could even just fix his tie yeah there there you go damn it that's easy because he's coming home to work and his wife thinks he's been working so he should probably look like he hasn't been loosening it and just gaming yeah no (laughs) (laughs) but when finn turns the mirror around he sees a horse-drawn carriage barreling towards him 
But then he pauses the game, and the neighing of the horses begin to echo around him in the cafe. Back on the balcony, Swink says that maybe timing had nothing to do with it, and perhaps it was all inevitable. A possible homicidal replication on a sociopathic level. This script is driving me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) He's really smart. I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but... Swink is smart as yeah. fuck. He's a genius. Uh, a real Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> a real Malcolm last name. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he was in the middle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Hutch walks away from the group when he realizes something. Loomis and his friends were playing Stay Alive the night they died. And now Miller. He asks what the chances are of all of them being murdered right after playing that video game. Abigail's like, and my friend too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you go first. <laughs> but the group follows Hutch back downstairs as he worries for Finn, who is currently playing Stay Alive, reminding them all of Swink's theory that timing may have had nothing to do with it at all. Swink shrugs it off, telling Hutch not to listen to him, but the group takes off running, making their way back to the video game cafe. I didn't realize that they were in a different building. I Me didn't. I, I thought they were on the roof or something. Yeah, I thought they went to the second floor, but they went to Hutch's apartment. This is his apartment building. <laughs> <laughs> and that's never established, but they no. went. <laughs> Finn's like, get out of here. They're like, all right, because no, like, <laughs> we're going back to Hutch's. <laughs> and they do. <laughs> but it's not established. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but they find Finn face down in front of his pause laptop screen. Hutch calls out for Finn, and when he raises his head, asks what Finn's doing. In very quick cuts, clearly editing out Finn ripping a bong, Finn asks what it looks like he's doing. In the director's cut, you see everything. And you should. I mean, yeah. it, it it's it's done in such a way that it's like, oh, you were hiding that. You, yeah, it was yeah. very strategic. Yeah. Because he's in his own place. Why are you fucking hiding down there? Nobody was even in here. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so weird. It is very funny how edgy even the DVD packaging in the 2000s was. Because on the back, because it's the unrated director's cut, it says violence, check, sex, check, drugs, check. It's like you need to, you need to calm down. Well, what they, else does a movie need? They needed you to know. Yeah. Because you're not reading the fine print or the small stuff. You see that and it's like, oh, bet. Yeah, but this was drugs, check. Yeah. <laughs> But after breezing past his own annoyance, Hutch asks if Loomis and Miller, but Finn finishes his thought. Wasn't a coincidence. They were both playing the video game before they died, so obviously the video game killed them, right? Finn asks Hutch to listen to himself, which earns a polite scolding from October. Finn then admits that he was ready to die anyway and directs Swink's attention to a mirror that he found in the game. Finn says when he flipped it over, the back works like a mirror and it won't break like the other ones. He says he assumes it's made out of polished silver and then he boasts that everyone else doesn't have one. If you forget that he said that, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be reminded. Yeah. (laughs) But Finn then stands up to talk seriously for a moment with Hutch and Swink takes his seat in front of the laptop. This scared me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I thought something else was going to happen that Swink is playing Finn's character. Yeah. Okay. That he goes to check out the mirror. He doesn't know what's going on. But yeah. That would make a lot more sense. But yeah, again, yeah. yeah, that is kind of trusting us to, or maybe us trusting them to subvert expectation or I- anything. Like, that's just not what this is. No. no. 
But Finn acknowledges that Hutch has been through a lot recently and says that Hutch knows that he loves him, but he's freaking everyone out. Hutch admits that he knows this too. But we then cut to a montage of everyone busying themselves with something because I guess Finn's game is still paused. I don't know, dude. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, what happened? Because it's so it's abrupt. Yeah. Yes. Weird. We see Finn outside working on his car. October is still inside the cafe cleaning one of the coffee machines. And Swink is messing around on a desktop, unplugging cables and wires. Hutch, however, is shaving at home in his bathroom. And since he's shirtless, we're able to see that his shoulder and his back are scarred from burns. But suddenly, back in front of Swink, blood begins pouring from his keyboard. And October is visited by the sight of a ghostly girl through a nearby window. Outside, Finn hears the sound of a horse neighing, and when he raises his head from his vehicle, he's almost hit by a truck speeding by. Swink wipes at his face, taking a little bit too long to realize that he's smearing his blood-stained hands all over himself, and he recoils in horror. Wouldn't it have made a little more sense or been a little scarier if Finn almost got hit by a chariot? Well, yeah. Because that car was real. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, he really almost got yeah. hit by a car. I think the car is custom and the horn is just a horse name. <laughs> <laughs> That's his horn. I'm an equestrian. I, my other car is a horse. <laughs> <laughs> That's got a regular horn on it. Yeah. <laughs> But in the mirror in his bathroom, the eyes of Hutch's reflection roll back white and the mirror shatters. But when he jumps back startled, it's revealed that none of this has actually happened. And in their respective locations, the rest of the group collects themselves, realizing that everything is fine. We probably shouldn't tell any of the others about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll just keep this to ourselves. <laughs> I will say, and they pointed this out on commentary, but there is no Abigail scene. Yeah. Oh shit. I have in my notes it's a little suspicious that the new the new friend yeah. hasn't been affected by this. Yeah. Again, I'm convinced. Of course. Right. That they, that's what it's gonna be. Their reason for it is because that they had an idea for Abigail's scene to have something like this happen to her, uh-huh. but her scene was unrendered and so they couldn't use it. <laughs> But leaving it out, it only lends more credence to this fact that she's a part of something. And it makes her that much more separate from the group because it even as the film goes on, it never feels like she's one of them ever. No. But Swink, still at his computer, takes it upon himself to fetch. Yes, this is their Google. (laughs) (laughs) They're trying to make fetch happen. (laughs) Hey, very good. Thank you. But he fetches perceptive reality. Later, Hutch arrives at work all alone. He peers down the hall towards Miller's office before making his way to a computer in the law library for a research scene. Woo! <laughs> now I will give it that. Okay. Yeah. I will credit it with that. <laughs> I thought this sounds like here it comes. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> he types Loomis Crowley into a database, and the fucking the third result is the New Orleans Police Department <laughs> database, which literally lists all of the evidence and shows all of the crime scene photos. Yeah. I, look. Look, yeah, <laughs> this is I would imagine. Yeah, I understand he's working at a law office, but this isn't you just don't have access to everything. Right. I was that's my note was you have access to this. Yeah. 
because it's grisly. Yeah, I was. I, that's what I'm saying. There are confusing moments, and this was like, I don't know if I can do that if I just. Yeah, you know what I mean. I feel like you're working on a case, and you're a lawyer. You have access to things. Even journalists have to file for things. Right. Yeah. You know, you can't just Google my friend and then yeah. find oh, all this shit. Yeah. yeah. And then it gets even worse because you're like, well, maybe, you know, maybe they're researching uh, or they're representing or something like that. But then he just searches other people's names and finds that <laughs> shit too. <laughs> so, I mean. It's like, no, it's all in all here. Right. <laughs> it's all in here. <laughs> but among pictures of Loomis's corpse and his body being taken away by paramedics, Hutch reads that there were no distinguishing marks on his body. And as we pan across the police report, Hutch learns of the broken banister that led to Loomis's fall. He then types Miller Banks into the search bar, reading his report too. Learning that he was stabbed with a 14-inch adjoined twin blade, he then searches for a photo of these blades, and it looks like something a 17th century countess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would probably <Right>. use. <laughs> it showed him the exact one. <laughs> yeah. It's got her initials engraved on <laughs> E.B. I don't know. It probably means nothing. <laughs> Elizabeth Banks did this? <laughs> it was screenshots from the game shit. Yeah. <laughs> But just as he concludes his research, a glitchy ghost girl jitters by, which he doesn't notice at all. But as he makes his way through the aisles, the ghost girl is hiding amongst them. This is when he hears the low rumble indicative of impending doom. In the director's cut, he goes into Miller's office. Okay. And he actually talks to Loretta because she finds him in there. And she's like, you know, what are you doing in here? And he kind of uh, vacates. But the thing is, is that he goes to find the source of this rumbling. Mm -hmm. And the rumbling is the controller under Miller's desk. Uh, Man, that would have been so good. Yeah. Because this feels like, oh, okay. Yeah, it it ends so abruptly. Okay, it's done. And he also, this is where he sees the broken mirror. Damn. Leave that in. And there's literally nothing there. To affect rating or anything. No. So I just don't get it. But Hutch arrives safely back at the video game cafe, dropping his research in a red folder onto a table in front of Abigail and Swink, who laments the fact that he's missing his G4 Tech TV weekend wrap-up for this. All right. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I watched G4 TV. So, so did we. But I, I didn't like that. <laughs> it's just too much. Yeah. It's like the nerds are going to love yeah, that. <laughs> I, I I don't ever think I was like, did you watch G4 last night? It's like, did you watch Attack of the Show? Yes. Did you, did you see what Morgan Webb said on X-Play? Did you, mm-hmm. I, I'm not just, G4 Tech TV? <laughs> it's like, no, no. Full name? Yeah. What the fuck? Unless that's something so different. I'm like, yeah. I think Swink might be a robot. <laughs> but Hutch doesn't give a shit about that and just tells Swink to look at the reports and crime scene photographs that he's printed out. He then notices that Finn isn't there with them, and October assures him that Finn said he would be here. But Hutch just begins without him, starting at the fact that they all know Miller was stabbed to death, and the cops think that he was stabbed with shears. Loomis's friends, too. We see a quick cutaway to Miller's character's murder in the game, and then a shot of Loomis's character discovering the bodies of Sarah and Rex's characters in the game, Hutch sharing that Sarah's body was drained of blood. There's no cutaway to Sarah's dear friend Abigail, though. Yeah. Which is odd. I am struck by the fact that I'm operating under the assumption, uh-huh. the educated hypothesis, that this game is resulting in my friends dying. Mm-hmm. 
I'm supposed to meet my friends at this cafe. One of those friends that was just playing the game is not here. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. Let's just talk anyway. Yeah. It was odd to me that he's not like, well, has anybody heard from, you know what I mean? Right. I would be scared. I've, I've just lost two friends to this game. Yeah. In my mind, at least, even if it's not a widely accepted whatever. Right. I have something that's that might upset you even more. No, here we go. <laughs> just a second. Because along with a shot of Loomis's character's body swaying, hung by his neck, Hutch continues that Loomis's neck was broken and he was hung in the game. He reveals that they all died the same way that they died in the game, and it can't be a coincidence. Hutch has no proof of how Loomis or Sarah died in the game because he wasn't playing with them. And it's uh, there's no way of him to know this. Yeah, They weren't on the same server that allowed Finn to find <sighs> Miller's body. Nope. So research aside, the only proof that we have is that Miller died the same way. We don't know anything about Loomis or Sarah. Not at yeah. all. So that's huge. <laughs> if if he, you know what? Add it to the phone call. Yeah. Okay. He's like, dude, I just got my fucking neck broken by a, <laughs> by a Anything. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> dude, there's something wrong with yeah. this game. I feel weird. My controller will stop vibrating. <laughs> my mirrors are breaking. It's just I like, gotta yeah. go. <laughs> she says, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's ridiculous. It is, yeah, it is. And so much of this, not all of it, but a, a lot of it could be fixed with just adding in a couple things. Yeah. yeah. And again, I don't know how much of this is producers cutting shit out that doesn't even end up in the director's cut. Right. Or what, but it's like this is this is huge. Yes. Because it's the biggest deal to say these all of these people died the same way they died in the game. But you only have proof of 25% of it. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, <sighs> yeah. But Swing slams his laptop shut, admitting that he doesn't like this at all. But October, after thinking about it for a moment, agrees that Hutch might be right. She reminds him how she heard the story of Garouge from her grandma, and she tells him that this Elizabeth Bathory chick was sick and twisted and very real. That is all true. Mm-hmm. But the, it kind of stops. <laughs> <laughs> but accompanied by flashes of scenes from the video game, October shares that every detail of this game is based on her real life. The tower, the cemetery, the torture chambers, even the broken mirrors, which were broken because she couldn't stand to watch herself get old. Which Finn knew about somehow. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She'd even hunt for victims in a black horse-drawn carriage and gut them with silver shears. She says it's all factual, but fed up for some reason, Hutch tells October that all he cares about is finding out what happened to Miller and Loomis, and she isn't helping. That pissed me the fuck <laughs> off. I yeah. Was like, really? Yeah, I... <laughs> Hold on, dude. So you're telling me that you want us to believe that the video game is killing your friends, but you don't want to believe that this real person is a ghost in his back killing your friends? I mean, what I'm, the fuck are you talking about? That's, that's too far. Yeah. I'm providing, <laughs> I'm providing evidence to support what you're saying. Yes, yeah. we're on the same team. Yes. And also, can we talk about Hutch saying, I want to find out what happened to Miller and Loomis and Abigail's never like, and Sarah. Yeah, because they too. forgot about yeah, it in the forgot, screenplay. Yeah. I don't know how many times I have to tell you that. <laughs> but October reveals more. As punishment, they walled Elizabeth Bathory up in her tower alive. And the last thing she said was that one day she'd be back. Which raises the question, 
What if she's back and killing them one by one after they die in the game? I heard the last thing she did in that tower was she started developing a video game. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I'm going to show them. (laughs) Got a lot of time on my hands. (laughs) Nobody puts baby in the corner. (laughs) Nobody puts baby in the tower. (laughs) But Hutch calls her theory insane and tells her to listen to herself, which rightfully annoys October. Yeah. But she says that if he doesn't want to listen to her, fine. All she really cares about is wherever the hell Finn is. But we cut to Finn, speeding down the road in his car, belting out sweet dreams by air supply. When he finishes, he clearly says, fuck, but he's very poorly dubbed to say, funky. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck is that? I don't know. It's a PG-13, if you recall. Oh, can we get anything else than that? <laughs> it's not. Anything. It's no. just not PG-13. Yeah. <laughs> we just need to accept that. You're trying. Yeah. <laughs> Funk it. Was, it was very weird. It was. That, I don't know. I don't want to say it through the scene off, but it was like, what? I laughed out loud. Because yes. Well, because no, it, yeah. it was already funny. Him singing it was already hilarious. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's just like, come on, dude. It's like, this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. It's yeah. like, just... <laughs> Just cut it out. Don't yeah. dub it. Just just cut it out. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Is this the TV edit? Like, are you showing yeah. us? Yeah. <laughs> are you trying to be funny? <laughs> but suddenly, dark clouds overtake Finn from above, and he speeds down a road lined by trees, which appear very similar to the front walkway of the Garouge plantation. He checks his rearview mirror, but distracted, he almost runs right into the ghostly silhouette of a girl in the street. He swerves out of the way and off the road, screeching to a stop next to a horse-drawn carriage that disappears in the next shot. I got to admit, I will say the shot of the lined trees, Mm -hmm. there are quite a few duplicated shots of things we see in the game versus things we see in real life. Yeah. The attention to detail there is really good. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. And I appreciate a lot of the match cuts. This one I think is fantastic as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... And this wasn't a match cut. I'm just saying in general. Yeah. No, but it did look good. This scene. Yeah. But Finn is now surrounded by fog and he steps out of his car for some unknown reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He calls out asking if anybody is out there. And in an odd cut, he's now suddenly on a phone call with October, Hutch and Swink. The cut is so fast. It would make a lot more sense if just add the sound effect of a phone ringing as he steps out of the car. Yeah. There there were so many moments in this movie, and this was one of them, that I rewound it because I was like, I must have missed something. Yeah. Yeah. The cuts are so abrupt that it's just like... That that couldn't that can't just be the next cut like did it I, just can't be. Did I doze off? Or did something? I fall yeah. asleep? <laughs> and it, it it's a real bummer because there is one that comes later that's really really bad. But this that one is not the fault of the editor. Okay, it's, no, it's, it's the fault of them having to cut a certain thing from the director's cut for some unknown reason. And okay. then you're just like, okay, we're here now. Yeah, you know, okay. I'm sorry. This is just what it is. It's just. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's what the editor told me. I talked to. <laughs> no. <laughs> but October asks if Finn is okay, and he lies that he's awesome. He explains that he was on his way to the meetup, but his car got stuck out on River Road. Now he doesn't say car. He says his whip. Yeah. yeah. Which is hilarious. <laughs> it is. But on the cool, you pulled over and you didn't hit that tree. You didn't. You like you slowed. 
to yeah. a stop. Yeah. yeah. How are you stuck? There's no need to get out of your car. There's no, no need to yeah. keep driving. All you got to do is back up and take off. Yeah. That and the fact that everything's blue now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Why we're not being like, hey, uh, sis, I think I'm in that game right now. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we not acknowledging? Can you check my laptop, please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know that you're the snarky one and you were like belittling everything everybody else was saying. But this is undeniable. You heard a horse, a regular horse, not a not a horn horse, <laughs> not a car horn horse. Yes. You heard a horse. There was just a fucking carriage. Yeah. Why are you not saying anything? Don't know. And you almost got hit by a car earlier. Yeah. Because yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> but Abigail offers to pick him up. And when he hears her voice, Finn instinctively hits on her. But as he paces around on the open road, Finn asks Swink to explain this perceptive reality stuff. Is it seeing things, hearing things, or both? Swink says that it's both, and it's bizarre, explaining that retinally speaking. <laughs> <laughs> you mean through your eyes, dude? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Finn tells him to shut up, sharing that he hasn't tripped out like this since he ate that high-powered matzo ball at Bible camp. I will tell you, he does not say matzo ball in the director's cut. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think he did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, who wrote this? And then I see the director's cut. I'm like, dude, why can't you just say that? Yeah. But October assures him that they're on their way to get him, reminding him that he hasn't died in the game. And Finn rejoices at this fact, which he doesn't believe. Yes. Yeah. I was just about to say that. <laughs> but Finn waits alone in the middle of the street, the camera swirling around him, resting on a static shot when he hears a horse neighing in the distance. He starts to grow anxious at the sound, but he remembers that in the game, the Countess only comes at night. But the sounds continue, and Finn calls out, asking if anybody's there. When he gets no response, he just stands there, shadowed by trees and filled with unease. But suddenly, despite us having a long, distant view of the empty road behind him in the previous shot, <laughs> God damn. Finn turns around and is met with the sound of a cracking whip before a black horse-drawn carriage plows into him, sending him under it, its rotating wheels rolling over him and dispensing him on the side of the road in a bloody heap. She said, I heard you like whips. <laughs> <laughs> you said whip, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think my, my issue with this is you've established rules. Mm -hmm. You have established that you enter into this kind of blood oath pact when you say Elizabeth's prayer. Yeah. And you play the game. And then when you die in the game, you die that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not dying at all in the game and then being yeah. killed in the way that you were going to die but didn't die. Yeah. yeah. You know, I understand this idea of never being safe but if these are the rules now that elizabeth bathory can just do whatever the fuck she wants yeah then everybody's dead right now yeah and i mean later these stakes are still there and it makes like moments more urgent later where it's like oh somebody's got to play you know blah blah blah. yeah but that's not clearly not necessarily true it doesn't yeah. matter you just create a character and that's all you have to do yeah yeah i i I, as the movie went on, that that did, because this does, like, what's happening right now, it's like, no, but we didn't do that earlier. No. Like you said. And then, you know, here in a second, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's out of order. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't understand what's happening here. I think it would have worked a lot better if Swink accidentally played Finn's game. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then he's like, you know, whatever it is, because he said, hey, Swink, check out this mirror. Yeah. And the mirror, I mean, I don't know. I just think that it would make more sense as far as the, even just this kill. Yeah, yeah. 
Swing's like, oh, I grabbed the wrong Alienware. <laughs> but they're all of great quality. <laughs> and they're on sale right now. <laughs> We're in the market for a new laptop. <laughs> I'm well, so overcome with grief. But they are incomparable. <laughs> but soon after, the group arrives in a large van that we've never seen before, and I feel like they should have introduced sooner. Yes. Yeah. When they spot Finn's car, October urges Abigail to pull over and she and Hutch jump out of the car. She rushes over to her brother's body, dropping to her knees and sobbing his name as the camera rises above them, match cutting to a shot of his character's dead body in the game with text reading, game over. Okay, but but he died first, then that happened. Mm-hmm. But Presumably. If, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But if like you were saying though, then show us that. And then him getting killed. Yeah. Or have it cut back and forth of it happening in the game and happening in real life. Just show the game starting to... There's anything. I, I agree. I agree completely. It's it's weird. It just got me that nobody's trying to comfort October. Yeah. No. They're like, no, no she'll be no. fine. She's fucking sobbing in the street yeah. on her brother's body. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, damn. Yeah, that sucks. I just like I've lost two. Yeah. yeah. Oh, catch up to me, and then <laughs> and then we'll talk about crying in the street. It's like what the fuck? These are your friends. <laughs> yeah. God damn. <laughs> but we then see that Hutch and Swink are in the back of the van, showing the video game to detectives Thibodeau and King. Hutch remarking that Finn died the exact same way as he died in the game. Thibodeau asks if Hutch needs to tell him something, and Hutch admits that it sounds crazy. But he explains that the game Stay Alive is about the Garouge Plantation and a woman named Elizabeth Bathory. Thibodeau recognizes the name, calling it an old ghost story. And Hutch continues, Finn was run over by a carriage in the game. Miller died the same way that he died in the game, too. Thibodeau tries to cease his conjecture, but Hutch adds that he got this game from a friend of his, and him and two of his friends were murdered in the same way that they died in the game, too. He's like, I think. <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't fuzzy. there that night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they should already know that. Yeah. If, if he got it from their report, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but he pushes his little evidence folder into Thibodeau's chest, ordering him to explain that, which is wild. Yeah, that's wild, dude. <laughs> They're like, cuff him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Thibodeau leaves through it, recalling the recent Crowley case from Church Point. But he also knows that Hutch lived with the Crowleys after what happened to his parents. King asks if Hutch talked to Loomis on the night that he was murdered, and Hutch tells him that he knows that he did. Swink reminds the detectives that technically anybody can hack into a... But they both tell him to shut up, and Thibodeau tells Hutch to take a walk with him. They walk off together, but King stays with Swink. He turns Swink's laptop around suggesting that he should see what has everyone so scared. Swink advises him against it, but King just tells him to shut up and asks him how it works. Swink instructs him to read Elizabeth's prayer, and he does. Why Why would you do that? Yeah. He's like, shit, all right. Okay. No, no, wait, it's dangerous. No, you got to say it out loud. Yeah. It's like, why, why would you do that? Why would you do that? I don't know. <laughs> He's like, man, is this an alien weird? <laughs> His keyboard this is, is so ours? responsive. Yeah. <laughs> but walking off together, Hutch insists that there must be a connection between the game and the recent deaths. Thibodeau agrees that there is a connection, and he warns Hutch, 
Friend or no friend, game or no game, the next time he finds Hutch at a crime scene, he's taking him in. The way that he talks to Hutch and the way he's like, after what happened to your parents, doesn't it seem like they know each other? Yeah. See, that's why I'm saying, or that's why I just assumed that they know this already. Because even when he was like, did you talk to him, you know, the day he died? And he's like, you know, I did. So then were you there? Did you cover the crime scene? Well, you, he, what are you talking I, about? Well, yeah, because I mean, he he wasn't interviewed about Loomis. He was only inter- interviewed about Miller. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it, the way that he's talking. It's like it's kind of giving look. I know you're a good kid. But next time I'm going to have to take you. Like, that's what it feels like. Yeah, that is but true. Then at the office, he was like, you were you were here last night with them. It's just weird. Like the the, it's just weird. Yeah, I think they don't know what they want to do with this character, and so they don't really do anything with him. <laughs> and they don't, and he's a really really good actor. So yeah. it's honestly yeah. a fucking waste to me. <laughs> <laughs> How do you really feel? Like, I, yeah. came, I came in a little hot <laughs> to to me. <laughs> But Hutch interrupts him, asking how he would feel if that was someone he knew that was killed, someone he cared about. He's like, are you threatening? God, no. He's not. <laughs> Thibodeau simply responds that he would let the police do their job. But Hutch then notices King playing Stay Alive on the laptop in the back of the van and rushes over to stop him. We see King's character on screen, dressed like him. Thank you! <laughs> That's too much. That's Dude, <laughs> I laughed so fucking hard. He created, oh my yeah. God. That's so fucking funny. It is yeah. very funny. Well, it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> is that his character is strapped to a chair, cinched at his throat, and metal claws are clutching both sides of his screaming mouth. In the director's cut, we see his head ripped apart. Okay. So they couldn't even show the game? I guess well, not. Yeah. Come on, man. I guess not. Come on. But yeah, this was... This was too much. I was like, okay, so like you said, he is wearing what he's wearing in real life. Yeah. So you read the prayer, customized your character, named him, and then went off and died immediately. Died immediately. Yeah, died immediately. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I was like, when the group played it, they hadn't even killed that or shot the girl yet. Yeah. How have you done all of this? It wasn't. He wasn't taught about the rose. No. He <laughs> oh, he didn't get the tutorial. No, no. no. Are, did, is he down in the fucking dungeon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So I think I spawned in a. Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> this is just. It's kind of at this point where it's like, oh, okay, this is just what this movie is yeah. like. The the character looking like him because I mean, if you're playing it purely. For let's see what all of this is. I'm a detective, da da da, whatever. Yeah. When you just like accept the default character that yeah. you're given, mm-hmm. he's like, no. No, we're going to give it. <laughs> I need to see me in this. <laughs> My haircut. <laughs> <laughs> but Hutch slams the laptop shut, which inspires a bit of a tussle between him and King, Thibodeau having to keep them apart. Hutch asserts that it would be best if no one played this game anymore. But King retorts that at Hutch's tender age, he understands that something like this might scare him. Thibodeau silences King and meets Hutch halfway, telling him that he promises to look into his claims and his research, but Hutch has to go home. As the detectives walk away together, King says that they should just lock Hutch up, but Thibodeau has his doubts that Hutch rode up here on a carriage and mowed down Finn. 
King responds that the video game theory sounds like bullshit. Wouldn't they take the game if they're promising to look into it? You would think, but yeah. we've learned that you don't even need the disc to play it. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> stay Alive was inside you all along. <laughs> the real Stay Alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't, I'm, I don't, I, I'm confused. I don't know. <laughs> I'm losing the plot here. <laughs> but later, the group stands next to Finn's abandoned car, October and Abigail leaning against it on the ground, while Swink loses his mind at the inaction of the police until Hutch tells him to shut the hell up because he isn't helping. Great friends. No, yeah. exactly. that's, that's all he says to anyone. Yeah. You're not helping. After a moment of silence, a despondent October asks Hutch why he had to bring this game into their lives. When Hutch can only muster her name in a response, October mournfully laments that Finn was all that she had. He meant everything to her, and now he's gone. We get these odd reaction shots from Abigail and Swing, as if they're like, wait, that was... She was his sister. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so weird. <laughs> My thing was, if I'm high, just like, look, not to speak ill of the dead. Yeah. He made us play. I don't want to play. I that that was my thing too. I was like, I don't want to sound insensitive, but your brother was like fist pumping and shit. Yeah. And he was like, let's play, let's go. Uh -huh. And it's like, dude, we've we're trying to go do something. May he rest in peace. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But he was abrasive. <laughs> yeah. So he's talking about fucking muffins. Or yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but at the fact that Finn is gone, tears fill Hutch's eyes as he accepts this reality. But he leans down to October, promising her that he didn't know any of this and apologizing for everything that's happened. October stands up, resigned that she doesn't want anybody else to get hurt. Hutch agrees with her and proposes that they do something about it. October then instructs Hutch to go find out everything he can about Stay Alive, and Hutch says that he'll start at Loomis's house. October says that she needs to stay with Swink and take care of some things for Finn. <laughs> Why does that involve Swink at all? Yeah. <laughs> Swink is really torn up. He's, yeah. he's the executor of the estate. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to stay in close contact with Swink. <laughs> he's got a lot of papers to sign. <laughs> But Hutch asks if she's up for this, and October puts it plainly. Somebody ran down her brother in a horse-drawn carriage. She's going to find out whoever did it, and she's going to hurt them. She then orders Abigail to stay with Hutch, and then kind of threatens her that if anything happens to him. But Hutch adds that nobody is to play the game, not even for a second. But we then find Detective King at a video game store, cutting everyone in line to talk to Fidget, the Cleric, played by Billy Louvier, also known as Quentin Tarantino Jr. Yes! <laughs> I was going to say, are you sure that's his last name? <laughs> Billy Tarantino, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's my note. That's a perfect Quentin. Yeah. yeah. Like, and you got the video game store. He worked at the video store. Yeah. yeah. It feels just right. But Fidget guesses King's situation. Wife and kid are driving him nuts, and he's looking for something to take the edge off. Something with a high frag count. It's a weird reception of him because it should be, hey, back the line. Yeah. Yeah. He no. just cut all those people and he's like, ah, I yeah. know what you need. It's like, what the fuck? What are you looking for, yeah. sir? <laughs> <laughs> so but King interrupts him, flashing his badge and asking if he looks like a 12-year-old. Fidget takes it that King isn't a gamer, but King shares with seeming honesty that he retired from gaming after he won the Greater Louisiana Q-Bert Tournament. And Fidget is impressed. 
That's that's impressive and true. Yeah. But King says that he needs information on a horror game called Stay Alive. But Fidget's never heard of it before, and he assumes that it's underground. But he adds that a game is really just an extension of the mind that created it, positing that King wouldn't play a game designed by Charles Manson, would he? What? the hell yeah. does that mean <laughs> <laughs> what are you like if he went about? to school and he learned how to do all that and then he's like, <laughs> i guess I, just, I i don't i you don't know what's going on this yeah. guy this guy doesn't know what's going on he asked about a game period he asked yeah. i'm looking for stay alive it sounds underground really a game is just an extension <laughs> of the mind that creates it would you play a game career what are you yeah. t- what are you <laughs> what is this conversation i don't know if he had said something like we think the person who designed it is connected to a string of murders boom okay. yes okay. Done. well yeah. okay okay you all he, all he yeah. said was I'm looking for stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking about Charles Manson. Yeah. Is this me trying to have a normal conversation? <laughs> it's just it doesn't track. No. <laughs> so it was 1968. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ever heard of Spawn Ranch? It's like please get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> Fidget's like I'm going to make a movie about that someday. <laughs> <laughs> But King agrees that he wouldn't play a Charles Manson-designed game, and then he bails from the shop. Fidget suggesting that maybe he already has? What? Again, this is almost like, did you make this game? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if this was a purposeful red herring, but it's fucking weird. It's weird. He's like, I know more about Stay Alive than (laughs) than you could ever imagine, all right? (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Just weird. But as King leaves, he gets a phone call from Thibodeau, telling him that he's got nothing and assumes that Fidget is right and that Stay Alive is an underground game. I will admit I think that this trip is unnecessary because he already learned from Hutch that he got it from a friend of his who was a beta tester. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, we already know, I don't know, man. I think this whole little thing with this detective... It could have been really cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the execution, but it's just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem very, I don't even want to say rushed, but everything happens really quick. It does. And it's only just to get him here to where he's at. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that that's the issue is it's just like, oh, I made my character or whatever. And then the next time we see you, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just it's just like, okay. Which I know is a pet peeve of yours. Very much. But the atmosphere grows eerie as King approaches his truck gets off the phone and sits down in the driver's seat. After seeing a ghastly visage in his rearview mirror and hearing those low, pulsating rumbles, King turns around to face the back seat. In an exterior shot of his truck, we hear King scream, accompanied by the sound of scraping metal and blood spattering all over the interior. In the director's cut, you see the claws go into his mouth, and so you have a better idea. Mm. Okay. I feel like you can still see the claws in this version and just cut away. Yeah. If we're not allowed to show, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, just do what you did in the game because they cut it up in the game too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But in the next scene, Hutch and Abigail have made it to the Crowley's house. When there's no answer at the door, Hutch recalls that Mrs. Crowley always left one of the windows open, which is very safe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Abigail asks how he knows that. And Hutch reminds her that he lived with the Crowley's when he was younger adding that Loomis's house always felt like home and he would run here when things got tough. Abigail says that he doesn't have to explain, but Hutch continues as he breaks into the Crowley's home. He shares that his father thought Hutch's mother was cheating on him. She wasn't, 
But his father thought that if she wasn't going to be with him, then she wasn't going to be with anybody. We watch in flashbacks as gasoline is poured all over Hutch's childhood home and set ablaze by his father. Hutch says that the fireman barely got him out in time, but his mother was still in bed when they found her. He always told himself that if he had been a little older or a little braver, he would have been able to stop his father, but back then, he didn't move. Hutch says that when his father gets out of prison, he'll be 76, remarking that there ain't nothing like family. Abigail asks, so that's why you're scared of fire. But Hutch corrects her, that's why he hates fire. Good talk. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so that's why you were being a little bitch about the lighter. Oh. It's like, dude, that's, that is oh a fucking God. terrible and tragic story Story yeah. that he just told you. That's your response? Yeah. I, I I don't know how successful this is, considering that you, you, you bring in a new character to act as the vehicle for this exposition. Yeah. But we already know this already. Yeah. All of it. Yep. So telling her when you should be telling us is something it's just i don't know it's just really maybe get rid of one of the flashbacks maybe we don't need so many yeah or maybe cut just... out finn's line earlier where he's like first your parents and now this yeah okay okay well and the detective said it too yeah yeah i feel like if we just saw his scars okay that could be enough mm -hmm. and then it, it's explained later but it's like we can easily put those pieces together include his reactions to fire maybe yeah. yeah, but not the full flashback, like yeah, you said. Yeah, and so the leaving of the window open. So Loomis's parents still live here. Yeah. So what is going on upstairs that we're about to see that has not been taken care of? They're on vacation. <laughs> 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 they came back for the funeral, and they were like, "Well, <coughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, gotta get back to it." Dude, you're right. They were in town. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. But Hudge makes his way inside and tells Abigail to go around the front door. He lets her inside, and from the view of the second floor, we see the broken banister that Loomis crashed through. Hutch and Abigail notice it too, as well as the shattered mirror on the first floor. They make it upstairs, finding the room that Rex and Sarah were in, and it's still stained with the blood from that fateful night. Abigail stands frozen, but Hutch urges her away to check out Loomis's room with him. Abigail already starts snapping photographs, but wonders what they could find in here that the cops didn't. Hutch responds that the cops didn't know where to look, and he pops off a panel on Loomis's computer, discovering a hidden cell phone. On it, he finds the address for Bellman Games, the company that Loomis playtested for, where he got the game Stay Alive. In my notes, I had, bitch, if you take one fucking picture in here, but then she did. <laughs> of course she did. <laughs> So he finds this address and he goes, this is where Loomis got the game. And Abigail goes, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, no. <laughs> it helps. It, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Just cut her out. Just yeah. take her out of this. I don't, yeah. I don't get it. But we cut to the two of them in her van. Hutch riding passenger and on the telephone asking Swink to help him find 1420 Cypress Road. At Hutch's apartment, we see Swink in October there, Swink giving directions from his laptop, and October researching more into Elizabeth Bathory. As Hutch explains that this is the address for the game developer, October snatches the phone away from Swink and consulting an old text called the Malleus Demonium, which she translates to mean the witch's hammer. That's not the translation, though. 
and everything that she says from this book is I believe I looked it up. It's I my Latin I've never taken in my life. Mm-hmm. I think it's the Malleus Maleficarum. And so I don't know why I don't know why this is done. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Any of it really. I don't I mean, get it. We are not heavily relying on reality <laughs> for, for any of this. <laughs> because everything she explains, she says it was a handbook for witch hunters during the Inquisition. Yeah. That's the Malleus Maleficarum. Huh. It even said, I don't, I just don't understand why I don't get it. Yeah. I don't mean to be nitpicky. I don't. <laughs> it's our job. Okay. Yeah. That's also true. <laughs> <laughs> but she says that the book tells them if they find Elizabeth Bathory, they need to put three nails through her heart, neck, and forehead. The nails will put her spirit back into her body. But then she reads that an undead spirit is only cleansed by burning its blood. Hutch asks if she's sure that Elizabeth Bathory's spirit could have been brought back from the dead, and October tells him that it's like a seance. A strong enough spirit can be brought back with the proper text. Hutch just mutters that he can't believe this is happening. You really sound like it, man. Because he's just like, I can't believe this. It's like, dude, are you... You don't understand the urgency and what's yeah, going on. You didn't get coffee on your shirt before <laughs> yeah. a job interview, dude. Like this is He is fully yeah. dis- he's fully dissociating. <laughs> he's it's above like, the car. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> just swimming through air. You ever get to a certain point where your brain's just like, okay, we're turning off our <laughs> We gotta reboot, dude. <laughs> this is too much. <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> But on television, Swink sees a news reporter, played by Veronica Mosgrove, reporting that Detective Charles King has been found brutally murdered at the Clearwater Mall. And this gets October's attention, as the reporter shares that this murder could be linked to recent murders that have happened in the last week. October tells Hutch that they have a problem, and within seconds, several police cars, with their sirens wailing, arrive at Hutch's apartment. Hutch says that they'll turn around and meet back at Loomis's house, and October urges Swink to follow her if he doesn't want to end up in jail. Okay, main character. <laughs> like, you don't know that those cops are for you. Yeah. Even so, you're not even who He's looking for. Yes! Yeah. They're looking for Hutch! No, that's if, true. If anyone. Yeah. But not only that, so you're telling me that the news reporters connected this. <laughs> you're they right. They connected this. That's also true. And the cops were like, what? What did that reporter say? I'll look into whatever you dug up and see if it's true. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, clearly they're connected. They and uh, I don't know. The method of murder isn't the same. One took place in broad daylight. Three took Four took place at night. Yeah. Uh, they're... Plus, New Orleans is huge. No, yeah. Yeah, not only that, Thibodeau saw him die in the game. Exactly the same way. He would have seen his body, and I'm not saying that he would think it was, oh, the game did this or whatever, but only they were there. Uh Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I'm really excited to see how all of this fleshes out with those cops. It's very crucial to (laughs) to act three. It did make me laugh, too, because Hutch is like, King's dead or whatever. <laughs> Abigail's like, oh. <laughs> That's so King. Like, why is right. that? So oh, my God. Right. Like, He's going to be late us, again. Yeah, yeah. Let us have a moment. Like, God, it's always about you. Like, she's just like mildly annoyed. 
it's a weird performance all around. <laughs> yeah. Really. I, I, I have to attribute it to direction because there's a lot of moments like this. It's, yeah. It's just hilarious. But as Thibodeau and other officers approach Hutch's apartment door with their weapons drawn, October and Swink sneak down the fire escape ladder. Inside, Thibodeau instructs his officers to toss the apartment and is handed a printout of October's research on Elizabeth Bathory. Elizabeth is misspelled, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the last we see of Detective Thibodeau. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not true in the director's cut. And also in the director's cut, there is a big change from the theatrical version right here. Okay. Because we see in the next scene, and we'll talk about in just a second, they're rushing back to the Crowleys Mm -hmm. so that they can meet October and Swink. They don't do that immediately in the director's cut. Yeah. They go other places, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Okay. But in the van, speeding back to Loomis's place, Hutch asks Abigail if she remembers the Countess's diary from the game, positing that maybe that's it, the proper text. Abigail says that that would mean, but we immediately cut to the whole gang arriving at Crowley's house and heading inside. Yeah. Also... Just thinking logically, mm-hmm. if we're hiding from the police at this point, because that's what they're doing. Yes. Yeah. They crept out like it was fucking manhunt and they scurried away. <laughs> Why are you hiding at the first crime scene? That's a great question. Yeah. That he knows that you used to live at. That would be oh, your yeah. hideout. I don't know. Meet well, you can't meet at the cafe either because well, you could. They don't even they haven't even talked to October. Really? No. Or anywhere in that van. Yeah, that, just, yeah. That, just go and drive. You know what I mean? They don't even know who the fuck. Nobody knows who the fuck Abigail is. <laughs> <laughs> We're not looking for you. That's true. Yeah. But inside, Swink is in denial that they've conjured up an evil spirit with a seance from a video game. But Hutch reminds him that to start the game, they all had to recite the prayer. Swink just replies that it's highly unlikely. But when he starts to scratch his head, Hutch asks him what he's thinking. Swink shares that he and October were talking about it, and maybe she's onto something. But Hutch suddenly notices that Swink's laptop is open and on the table, and he's logged in to stay alive. Swink swears that he wasn't playing the game, and Hutch asks where October is, learning that she's out smoking. On the laptop screen, a ghostly girl watches October's character through a window as she casually strolls around outside. We match cut to the real October outside of that house, and she stumbles upon a nearby property which is under construction. Through the partially built window, a ghoulish figure watches her and walks by with a loud musical sting which startles her. I think she heard the music. (laughs) (laughs) Why the hell is she out here by herself? Yeah. I don't know. I... The director explained on commentary that she's kind of... After Finn's death, she's like, I'm just fucking, you know. And so that's why she's off by herself. That's why she does what she does next. So what about when she's researching shit and on the phone with Hutch trying to get to the bottom of everything and telling Swink, hurry, hurry, we don't want to get arrested. When when did this despondence happen? Just the, when we got here? On the drive. Got yeah. it. <laughs> on the way over. Yeah, on got the, it, on got the way it. to Crowlins. <laughs> but October, for some reason takes it upon herself to approach the half-built home, making her way inside. Hutch, Abigail, and Swink head outside, Swink confused, reminding Hutch that he said if they didn't play the game, they'd be fine. But Hutch admits that he doesn't know what the rules are, and that maybe there are no rules. Abigail says that if nobody's playing the game, then that means... And Hutch finishes, the game is playing itself. This isn't 
bad or it wouldn't be mm-hmm. for me. It's just we've gotten to a point where I'm like, why character motivations are out the window. Mm-hmm. It feels like we're setting up all this stuff and then just forgetting about it. We never see the cops again. Yeah. It, I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> I feel like on Sunny when he's like, okay, now the crabs have machine guns. That <laughs> makes sense. It's just like, okay, yeah, the game's playing itself. Bet. Okay, fine. That's We've never established that, um, but okay. Yeah. All right. I, I feel like it would make a lot more sense if the conclusion that they come to later about having to play the game yeah. is found much earlier. Okay. To where they're like, look, the game is going to play itself if we play it or if not. If we don't. Yeah. We set the prayer. So somebody's got to be on this thing. I yeah. don't know if that was maybe the implication between the the couple at the beginning. Yeah. When he was like, oh, we haven't been. But it's just, I don't know. It just does not work for no. me. <laughs> but inside the partially built home, October creeps around cautiously, making her way through plastic sheeting. But she stops when she finds a chain lying on the ground. As she bends down to pick it up, a ghostly figure darts by, scaring her. She ventures onward, snagging an errant hammer and three nails from the construction site. I am no construction expert. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. But those chains seem out of place. (laughs) I think someone brought those with them. And you're what you're going to, I get it, whatever, but you're really, you're going to go fight this ghost with the hammer? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what the book said. (laughs) (laughs) But she inches her way forward, determined but fearful, and switching up her tactics when she finds a nail gun resting on a wooden board. So one thing they did mention on commentary that is a little interesting and kind of cool is that in the video game when they were playing, Finn's weapon of choice was a nail gun. Oh, I like okay. that. So yeah. that's pretty cool. But meanwhile, Hutch, Abigail, and Swink rush to find her, but tense music rises as October approaches a ghostly figure standing at a window. The figure turns around, revealing herself to be the Countess. October fires at her, but the nails go right through her and into planks of wood behind her. October tries to run away, but she stumbles and falls, finding her ankles caught in a shackle. She struggles to get free, but we get that dragging away shot that was probably newish at the time, but I hope nobody <laughs> ever does again. <laughs> and she might as well have fallen and put those shackles on herself. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> but her screams alert the gang to her location, and they try their best to break into the house. October is lifted up, hanging upside down as the Countess watches her swing with ghastly glowing eyes. October screams to be let go as she sways to a stop in front of the Countess, Defiant till the end, October snarls, go fuck yourself, before the Countess slices her throat with her silver shears. I get, obviously, there's the Mm F-bomb, but again, we just saw someone get their throat cut, dude, in this (laughs) PG-13. They're like, no, that fucking game character getting hurt. No, No, it's too much. It's too much. But a real person. Yeah, (laughs) she'll be fine. And I will admit it is worse than the director's cut. You see the blood rain down. Okay. I Again, I just feel like a movie about the blood countess. Yes. Should be rated R. Yeah. And it needs more blood. Yeah. yeah. And you need the blood raining down. And you need, look at her name. What mm-hmm. is she known yeah. for? Like, a, like an evil dead raining blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yes. Let's do that. Yeah. But October falls to the ground as the group breaks in and Hutch rushes for her holding her in his arms as she bleeds out. 
Hutch promises that she's going to be okay and that he can fix this. I don't. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't think so. Well, and it's like we're not even going to try to like put pressure on the wound or no. like yeah. he's like I'm going to cradle you like theatrically. Um, but <laughs> I'm like, does anybody have a rose? It's like yeah. we yeah. something, you know. It's like we're just going to accept it. Yeah. Maybe med kits work in real life too. Yeah. You know, just, just like crouch in the game. down, yeah. wrap a bandage around your there arm, you and you're yeah. fine. Yeah. But he cries out, begging her not to do this to him, which is <laughs> pretty self-centered when she's the one dying. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what a shitty day for me, yeah, dude. dude. Like, my day sucks. But we cut abruptly to the group speeding away in Abigail's van, Hutch staring at his hands covered in October's blood, breaking into sobs and fits of rage. Swink regrets leaving her all alone, but Hutch takes the blame for everything, absolving Swink of his guilt. Hutch tells Abigail that she should have left when she had the chance, because her life was perfect before this. But after a beat, Abigail finally reveals the truth. Her father isn't an architect, and her mom doesn't teach first grade. Hutch corrects her. You mean kindergarten? Abigail's like, yeah, whatever. But she also admits that she isn't heading to Princeton either. Everything she said was bullshit. She actually lives in this van down by the river. I just, <laughs> no. But seriously, she says that she hates telling people the truth and watching them get embarrassed for asking. Hutch and Swink eye her suspiciously. We don't get any closure if she was lying about Sarah too. Yeah. No. Any of that. This reveal meant nothing nothing at all and i'm like and i hate flowers and i love when it rains it's just like okay dude like (laughs) what is this for and right now this means nothing yeah if more had been built into that this moment would have been earned but she's just suddenly like my name's norm (laughs) (laughs) and we're just supposed to be like oh my god her name's norm I don't give a shit. Now that was a fucking twist. <laughs> I will say <laughs> they had also said something on commentary because it, the the actress who's playing Abigail is is clearly wearing a wig for this entire film. Right. They said that the actress actually had her hair cut short underneath the wig, almost kind of like Rosemary from Rosemary's Baby. And what they wanted was for her to also take off the wig. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. And the producer said no. But I uh, would uh, fucking <laughs> cry. I would like a laugh. disguise? Yeah. Dude, from who? Nobody knows yeah, who the fuck I you know. are. I would <laughs> pass out. I think that's the thing is that none of this matters. But uh, no, it, it doesn't. And that's w- and and I agree with both of y'all. That's why it doesn't. It, for me, it didn't hit either. No. But uh, but for me, again, have her be the one who's bringing all these details. Yes. So when this revealed, the reveal is, look, I lied to you guys about everything. I've been following this for X amount that, of time. Oh yes. whatever. God. That's all. Check it out. And then have October being mad because every time Abigail says something, it's coming true or it's close to it. And she's like, why? Why, why are you inserting yourself in my friend group and you're always right? What it's the like, fuck I, is this? I do have inside knowledge. Yes. I am a liar. Yeah. My name is Rosemary Woodhouse. <laughs> 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 this is just so, this is too much, dude. <laughs> so that makes sense if we're so confused, like what this character even is, mm-hmm. that they didn't even have a clear yeah. 
idea. It doesn't seem Sounds like. like it. No. Because what you just said is 10 times better than anything that we got from her. It just it, that for me, it would it would for me, it would make sense because yeah. then it gives her something to do. We've all three agreed that she's I'm not I'm, I don't mean to sound mean, but like her character is kind of useless here. If she's not there, it doesn't change anything. Nothing. It changes absolutely nothing besides him and Swink being there. They would instead of it would just be them two. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, what? Give her something to do, something more or anything. I'm telling you right now that if that woman sat in that car and took that fucking. I don't know if it would have given it two points or taken two points away. I'd like the C to know. That's all. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I would have to. But would it be like one of those look away and then she turns around and pulls it off? I don't or is know. it just like a slow pull off and like, this isn't my real hair either? <laughs> She's it's like, like, you want to see something really? Yeah. <laughs> I just love the thought of her taking a wig off while she's driving. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, okay. <laughs> and even this, even her reveal, they're just like, all right. Yeah. I don't give up. My friends yeah, are no, dead. Yeah. I don't fucking care about your parents. Yeah. Like, that's, I, I, I'm sorry. That's wild. I hinged my entire liking of you based on your father yeah. being an yeah. architect. <laughs> His name's Art Vandalay. It's like, dude. <laughs> But Abigail says that they have to end this. But Swink says that he doesn't think they have much time. Hutch suggests that they need to find the Countess's body, which means that they need to find her tower. He adds that whoever made this game knows everything there is to know about Elizabeth Bathory, and they'll know exactly where the Garouge Plantation is. I think it might be in Hungary. Swink opens up his laptop in the back seat, drawing the ire of Hutch and Abigail, but he says that something won't let them stop playing, and that it's obvious that they need to stay alive in the game until they end this. And if it's going to play with or without them, at least he can use himself as a decoy and protect them. Hutch just replies, let's go. And the gang then arrives immediately at a mansion. (laughs) 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 At a certain mansion. (laughs) With no explanation of how they found it. Thank you. (laughs) This is what I'm talking about. There are moments that I'm like, did I miss something? Yeah. And then I rewind it. No, I didn't. I will explain everything. Okay. In just a few short scenes. (laughs) But they exit the van. Hutch giving Swink a single order. Stay alive. As Hutch and Abigail head toward the plantation house, Swink sets up in the back of the van, logging into the game and stealing himself for the task ahead. As they stand before the plantation house, Abigail asks if this is where they made Stay Alive, and Hutch comments that it seems like a strange place to make a video game. And it doesn't look familiar at all. Yeah, no, we never (laughs) stood in the stone pathway of the house just like this. My thing, too, is what happened when we just split up with October? Yeah. Yeah. Why are we splitting up and then not to give anything away, but and then splitting up? Yeah. I was mad. But Hutch approaches the front door, knocking on it, and we see that there's a motorcycle parked outside, which is explained in the director's cut. Give me just a second. (laughs) But from inside the house, we see Hutch creak the door open and walk inside with Abigail. 
He calls out, but no one answers. And after hearing a low rumble, he tells Abigail to wait there while he goes to check it out. Swink, however, is exploring the house on the game, but he runs outside and surveys the mansion under the pale moonlight. Abigail, however, continues her investigation of the mansion, finding a porcelain doll dressed in a red gown, which looks exactly like the Countess. Outside, Swink holds his laptop up to the building, and in a moment of realization, mutters, Holy shit. I was like, we didn't know that? Yeah, I thought that's why we stopped here. <laughs> we well, there's <laughs> there's more space dust on here. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hutch, however, peers through a window and into a structure outside, finding that a black horse-drawn carriage is parked underneath an awning. Just then, he gets a phone call from Swink, who tells him to try to get to the back door of the house after Hutch tells him that the house is deserted. Swink puts the phone on speaker to be his navigator, but back inside, Abigail continues on when she hears that low, pulsating rumble. She follows the sound, slowly making her way upstairs. Swink continues navigating Hutch through the house thanks to the map on the game, but upstairs, Abigail finds a bedroom and walks in. Swink leads Hutch outside, but Hutch grows suspicious, asking how Swink knows all of this. But Swink just urges him to follow his instructions. He leads Hutch to a set of iron gates, while upstairs, Abigail recognizes the bedroom she's in, the angle of the fireplace, and the dresser. It's exactly like it was in the game. And we match cut to stay alive, the discovery of the glowing dresser that earned her so many accolades earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it made me feel like on Anchorman when he's like, see, even the dumb one gets it. Yeah. It's like, dude, how are you like, how do you know all this? And then Swink, why aren't you like, dude, because it's... <laughs> you didn't you recognize? Didn't recognize? Yeah. <laughs> really? You know where we're at? <laughs> He's like, I've got something up my sleeve. <laughs> Just hold tight. It's like, dude, I, I don't know. This was hilarious. Hutch makes his way through the gates and the camera rises above him, revealing a large cemetery, just like in the video game. And off in the distance, a large tower presides over all. And Hutch realizes this is Garouge Plantation. <gasps> Hey, you got there. <laughs> yes, finally. <laughs> yeah, get there. The shot match cuts to the video game, Swink adding that they're in the Countess's backyard. So if you'll allow me a moment to explain. Okay. In the director's cut, whenever they are split up and October and Swink are at Hutch's apartment, Hutch and Abigail are doing exactly what they were told. They're going to find more about Stay Alive. Okay. So they go to 1420 Cypress Creek or no, that's the Simpsons. <laughs> Cypress Road or whatever. Some state somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but they go there and they go into the house, which is what we see at the beginning of this scene. They go in and they start looking around. Abigail finds the doll. But then they're stopped by Jonathan Malkus, played by James Haven, Angelina Jolie's brother. Oh, okay. Oh, the game developer. Oh, all right. And they talk to him and they tell him basically what's going on, everything with this video game. He tells them that he was always striving to make the most perfect horror game. And there was a story he heard in his childhood that stayed with him his entire life. And it was the story of Elizabeth Bathory. And so he wanted to use her as the subject of this game. 
So Hutch explains to him that five people have died because of his video game. Yeah. And he thinks about it for a moment and he tells them about a book that he read that inspired everything, every detail. And he says that the author is local and she's not that hard to find. So they go find her and they go talk to her. And this is the author played by Alice Krieger, who we remember from Silent Hill. Oh, okay. What? The book is called The Lady of Blood, and she explains everything about the history of Elizabeth Bathory. Those scenes with October never happened. She doesn't read anything. She doesn't tell them anything. They learn about Elizabeth Bathory from the author of the book who inspired Jonathan Malkus to make the game. So she explains everything, the movie version of Elizabeth Bathory, and she tells the whole story really theatrically as we see a shot of Thibodeau finding her book at the library and reading it. And so that's the section that's missing from that point is them learning and talking to the game developer. Okay. And so all of this stuff is missing. Everything that we see with this house, they've been here before. And so they're returning to the house to talk to the developer. Yeah. Why did you leave the motorcycle in? Yeah. Because it's the only shot you had of them entering the house. Oh my God, dude. And so that is obviously Malchus's motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But in this but he version, exist. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't exist. This is this is the house that Elizabeth Bathory owned and did all of her things in. That still remains true. But at the same time, this entire subplot of meeting the game developer, which is exactly what they went off to do, yeah, is gone. And that was cut for time. Apparently, that is fucking infuriating. Yeah, because I don't understand. Because later we also see something that feels like it's that that's part of that yeah but there's no like yeah. there's, it's just there and it's very clearly part of that yeah because it is oh and so God, it's dude. just so irritating because you see the director's cut and you're like okay this actually makes a lot more sense and it streamlines everything yeah yeah and it makes it not as weird that them going and saying i bet the developer would know everything about this and then we never meet him yeah like it's just strange I, I don't I, I think it was a matter of time and them trying to cut it down so that it could be, you know, whatever, 78 minutes, PG-13, et cetera. Yeah. I understand the cuts made for content, but for narrative. Yeah, no, that is a huge fucking mistake. Yeah. Huge mistake. And I'm sorry. Alice Krieger is fantastic in that role. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame that a lot of people didn't even get to see her. Yeah. yeah. But I think it also takes away from that big twist because if they're arriving back at the house for the second time in this scene, like they do in the director's cut, Mm -hmm. to them, they're going to talk to Malchus again. Yeah. To us in the theatrical version, they've never been here before. Yeah. Yeah. And so them having knowledge of having been here in the director's cut, that realization and that twist of this being Garouge Plantation is much better. Yeah. Because it's like they were just here Mm -hmm. and walking around and talking to this dude expand on the little the property a little bit and you discover that this is where it happened right so i mean it's just it's just very upsetting and that does obviously make it to where the director's cut is the superior version yeah and there's another reason why it's the superior version we'll get there in just a minute oh man (laughs) but abigail makes her way through the dresser which leads to a secret staircase just like it did in stay alive when she first opens the dresser she doesn't notice a shadow appear in the mirror on one of the doors behind her but she quietly makes her way up the staircase, surveying drawings, sketches, old pages from books, and most importantly, and most dramatically, thanks to musical stings, maggot-covered doll parts. I was like, not the maggot. Yeah. 
She surveys what appears to be a workstation covered in miscellaneous papers, close-up photos of eyes, sketches of Elizabeth Bathory, vintage photographs of buildings, and antique vehicles. So this, in the, in the director's cut, is Malchus's workstation. Okay. These pages that are on the wall are from the author's book, ripped out and put on the wall. Yeah. So again, yeah, because we this is what I was talking about. We see this, mm -hmm. and clearly it's a work area. Yeah, but my note is so someone did this game so that the owner could get revenge. I don't understand because we don't know all this stuff from the director's cut no. watching this. Not at all. So that explains everything. Why did you take the story out like that? I just don't get it. But when Abigail reaches for a picture of a black horse-drawn carriage. She accidentally disturbs the balance of the desk, causing objects to fall from it. But she just walks away from the mess that she's made. <laughs> Noticing an oil painting of Elizabeth Bathory on the other side of the room, as well as a large antique pair of shears. She picks them up, holding them in her hands, and jumps when they open with a metallic shriek. Well, what did you think they were going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Make a horse noise. <laughs> but outside, Swink asks what all of this means, and Hutch explains that this means the Countess's body is in the tower behind the cemetery. Swink replies, no shit. Good friend. <laughs> <laughs> but back inside, Abigail has located Elizabeth Bathory's diary. She leaves through it, expressing out loud, Elizabeth's diary. <laughs> All these girls, she killed them all. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But just then, all the lights in the room begin to dim, leaving Abigail standing there in the darkness. The low rumble pervades the space, and in the darkness, we hear a screeching noise followed by Abigail's screams. Hutch hears her screams too, and runs back toward the mansion, guided by Swink, who gives him a faster route to Abigail. Inside the hidden room, Abigail flicks on a lighter, and in doing so, discovers that she's standing in front of one of the maggot-infested dolls, and her face is covered in crawling cockroaches. Hutch reaches an outside staircase leading to Abigail, but discovers a locked door barring his way in. He eyes a padlock, telling Swink that he needs a crowbar or something to break in. In the game, Swink's character eyes the padlock too, and drops a crowbar on the step in front of him. He asks Hutch if he sees it, and when Hutch looks down, there is somehow a crowbar resting there. This did make me laugh, <laughs> but I'm not going to lie. It's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> I like the interplay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I like that. But I would have liked more of that if that is what is happening. Yeah. Like, why? I mean, I don't know. I feel like it could have been a kind of cool, like co-op thing mm -hmm. like he's in the game but he's in real life but they're helping each other like get indoors or, you know what i mean like yeah. a co-op game i thought that that could have been kind of cool but this is kind of it yeah yeah and i will say it all seemed so one way during the rest of the film right elizabeth bathory can exploit this but we can't yeah yeah, yeah. it's very cool to learn this but i agree if we had known more or seen more this is a pretty cool bit of interaction yeah but Hutch snags the crowbar in disbelief before breaking the padlock and rushing up the steps. Abigail, meanwhile, is still going through it, crawling away from unseen threats until the glow of her lighter catches a ghostly face crouched just behind her. In the director's cut, this is the game developer's corpse. Okay. Mm. 
Oh, wow. So yeah. he told and he got got? Yes. Yeah. Wow. All right. But Abigail continues losing her mind on the floor while Swink guides Hutch to the correct door to reach the bedroom. When he discovers the door is locked, Swink uses a key in the game, which unlocks it in real life, and they both agree that this is insane. But in the hidden room, in the flickering light of her lighter, Abigail is held against the wall by the pale arms of the Countess's victims as the Countess readies her shears for the kill. Hutch, meanwhile, asks for Swink's help because he doesn't think that he'll be able to make it in time, and Swink has an idea— and upon finding Abigail's avatar in the game being held down by ghastly children and the Countess closing in with her shears, he tosses three roses in their direction, causing the malevolent spirits to disappear. Abigail's avatar smiles, which is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the game knew. Yeah, like, oh, like, thank Ooh. God. <laughs> Sweet. Thank you, Swing. <laughs> That's fucking ridiculous. But I was glad that somebody remembered that yes. part of the game. Finally, yes. finally. But we match cut to Hutch discovering Abigail in the hidden room just as the lights return. They embrace, and after a moment of hesitation, they share a soft kiss. In the director's cut, this doesn't happen. Good. They said that yeah. they didn't want that to happen. It shouldn't happen, but it was kind of forced on them by the producers. Oh, wow. It's, it's fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so we take away the scenes of them bonding that we get in the director's cut, but we add the kiss yeah. here still. Yeah. That, but I mean, when we talk about meddling and stuff like that, yes. it, it really makes me like, you guys think that we're stupid stupid mm -hmm. <laughs> you think that we're idiots and all that we're waiting for is are they gonna kiss like <laughs> it's very very annoying mm. <laughs> you i gotta uh, just say over the last like three pages of my script you've seemed very pissed <laughs> off <laughs> i just think everyone should know <laughs> i'm trying to keep it together but i'm just not happy with where this is all going i haven't been happy honestly since you told me what they took out i'm sorry <laughs> that's, that's my fault ignorance was bliss yes <laughs> but swing calls out to them over the phone wondering if they're okay and hutch finally assures him that they are and that swink saved abigail's life swink is obviously chuffed to hear this and Hutch asks what the plan is now. Swink reminds them of the three nails, and Abigail remembers the most important part of what October told them. The way to cleanse a witch's soul is to burn her blood. But Swink reminds Hutch to bring wild roses with them as they ascend the tower. But before he can elaborate, a low rumble pulsates around him, and he watches his controller shake from the vibrations inside the van. He rushes for it, but the back doors close on their own, he watches fearfully as on the screen, a black, horse-drawn carriage races towards his character in the middle of the street. Luckily for Swink, a window remains partially open, and he's able to reach in for it and snag the controller, rescuing his character from certain death. He then smashes through the window and climbs back inside. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Abigail. <laughs> Look, we're not worried about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> but as he sits down in front of the laptop to play the game, a dark shadow is cast over his character on screen, followed by a similar shadow that passes over him in the back of the van. Is there any point in asking why this is starting to happen now when his character is alive in the game? 
Huh. I feel like that's a great question. Yeah. I think, honestly, Swink is the one that's just hanging out in the van playing the game. If we can kill characters anytime we want, why not fucking <laughs> murk these two fools that are trying yeah, to climb the castle? Yeah, that are coming for oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. You know. But Swink cries out, admonishing the Countess for cheating because he's not dead yet. For some strange reason, he books it out of the van, leaving the game going when it's proven time and time again that the Countess can take control of the game anytime she wants to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he rushes through greenery and tall trees, suddenly being pursued by a black horse-drawn carriage. They're relying really heavily on that carriage <laughs> yeah. to like, get a lot of the work done. Yeah. The production spent a lot on this carriage. <laughs> <laughs> right, we got to use that motherfucker Yes. <laughs> and you guys got to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> These are our two wants. But he stumbles, falling into a thorny rose bush, pained cries escaping him as he struggles against them. He sits up to see the countess opening the door to the carriage, stepping out and brandishing her long, sharp shears. Hutch and Abigail return to the van, wrenching the back doors open, and on Swink's laptop, they see his character laying dead in a field of roses, and emblazoned on the screen are the words, Game Over. Abigail apologizes to Hutch for his loss. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, did he break my window? I'm like, damn, dude. dude. (laughs) That better have been the Countess, dude, because I'm fucking pissed. (laughs) If this is your friend, you're paying for it. (laughs) But he's in roses. That's the out, but I don't understand why he gets a game over screen. Yeah. Yeah, I was extremely confused. Very confused by all of this. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I know what they're trying to do. It just does not work for me. Yeah. But outside in the cemetery, Hutch and Abigail gather the needed materials, three nails and a bouquet of roses. But when Hutch suggests that they find a hammer, Abigail shows off the pair of shears that she found in the hidden room. But suddenly, they're interrupted by the sound of neighing horses, and off in the distance, they see the carriage headed toward them. They take off running past graves and mausoleums to break into the Countess's tomb. So this is the edit that I was talking about, Mm -hmm. where it's edited like the fucking Radioactive Man movie. (laughs) (laughs) But the problem is not with the editor. There was a shot in the director's cut of them entering the cemetery. Okay. I don't know why it was removed. Because you see them and you're like, oh, wait, did they find these nails in the cemetery? Yeah. They didn't. It's from another location. Oh, my God. (laughs) So it's like, I don't even know. But one thing I will say regarding the cemetery and everything. Yes. There is a shot that is pretty cool whenever we see Hutch enter the cemetery for the first time. Mm-hmm. The house behind him is one location. The gate is another location. And then the cemetery is the cemetery we saw at the beginning of the film. Oh, okay. oh like repurposed. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, it's a little bit, as they said, and as I wrote before they said it, a little bit of movie magic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's very cool. They yeah. moved the gate from the house to the real cemetery in New Orleans. Okay. Like, it's that's... That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Also, the tower is CG, the exterior, and it does not look it. No, no it doesn't. not at all. But Abigail makes it inside the tomb first, and instead of joining her, Hutch closes the door behind her reaching into his bag to face off against the sinister stagecoach with a single red rose. As he holds it outward, we watch as the horses in the carriage evaporate into black smoke all around him, and the rose slowly withers away, exhausted of its magical protection. I loved this. Yeah. That's cool as fuck. Yeah. It looked great. Mm -hmm. But Hutch solemnly thanks the dearly departed Swink for the rose. He heads inside the tomb to meet the embrace of Abigail, but just before them is Elizabeth Bathory's coffin. 
But when they open the lid, it leads into the tunnels, just like we saw in the game earlier. Abigail drops a rose on their way in, which disintegrates as soon as it hits the ground. Hutch asks why she did that. (laughs) 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 But before she can answer, the Countess's spirit rushes for them. But Abigail tosses more roses in her direction and she disappears in a gust of wind. Way to blow the whole load, though. Oh, You only need to use one. He stopped a whole fucking carriage with one. And he held it just in his hand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was spamming the the X button. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. But the pair continues on. But out of nowhere, they're pursued by the twitching, crawling, undead bodies of the Countess's victims. They run as fast as they can through the tunnels, finding Elizabeth Bathory's torture chamber, slamming the door behind them, and dropping a rose on the floor. I, again, don't mean to nitpick, but I don't know why they couldn't just get actual people in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. The CG of these girls rushing towards them, I know maybe they're supposed to be cut out from the game, but they also appeared to be human and not... 3D? I don't yeah. know. It just didn't work for me. It did It did feel a little odd, too, because I do think that that's the way I took it was they're trying to make it seem like they're coming out of the game. But if this is something that really happened, you don't need that. Because if that did happen and that's truth, then these ghosts would be stuck here. Yeah. Well, and Elizabeth doesn't look that way. No. Well, but there's two forms of Elizabeth we find. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, But the room is lit by candles. And as Abigail surveys various instruments of torture, Hutch finds the door leading up to the tower. He lets himself inside, but before Abigail can join him, the door slams shut behind him. Through bars in the door, Hutch loses his mind trying to open it up, emphatically shouting that he can't leave Abigail behind. She calls his name over and over, calming him, and telling him that they don't have time and to just think about it. She tells him they have to finish this, and she wants him to go because he's their only chance. Hutch, once again, can't believe this is happening, but Abigail assures him that it is. He hands her a rose through the door, promising that he won't let the Countess take her, and in return, she gives him a lighter and kisses his fingers a little bit. (laughs) she's like i love you so much (laughs) i just don't this whole moment i I don't understand the whole not me not hermione (laughs) you i don't i don't (laughs) i don't understand why he's the the chosen one or like i don't get it yeah i think it's because of the last step to killing the countess which is fire but again we also learn yeah This movie's a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of cool ideas. A lot of cool ideas. I have a lot of fun watching it every single time I watch it. Yeah. I just can't think about it. Yeah. No, you can't. You can't. Because this movie's a blast. Yeah. Let's continue. (laughs) (laughs) But at the top of the tower, through a pale white curtain, Hutch finds the body of Elizabeth Bathory, played by Maria Kalanina. Meanwhile, Abigail cries peeling rose petals from the flower, playing, he loves me, he loves me not. She's driving me crazy. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hope you can explain this because I had no idea what the fuck was going on here. I think it's just, I, you know, I don't know what I know. 
I don't know what I think. <laughs> <laughs> there was no commentary. There was no no just, no. Uh, it because for me this I I I'm I know it would be weird or whatever, but it almost seems like she's held prisoner somewhere and she's waiting right here. Like, like she she's got, trapped. Yeah, she got stuck in the room, and he's like, "I'll be back for you," and she's just kind of, I guess, but you know what I mean. <sighs> he's trapped. Yeah, he's forced to face off. Yeah, not I. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was so incredibly annoyed, and you know what that rose is for. Yeah, and this is how you're using it. If you have that song by Dream stuck in your head, <laughs> just sing it. You don't have to rip the rose up. That is also true. Yes. I was mad. Yeah. I will say there's also a song, Wings Off Flies by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, where he does it at the beginning. But <laughs> Just sing the song. I, yeah. Don't rip up the rose. Yeah. Don't get it. Don't do it. But, I mean, we see that the roses begin to disintegrate as well. Why is this rose disintegrating when it's not offering any protection? <laughs> rose uh, is like, don't dream yeah. about me. No <laughs> In this place, bitch, yeah. I can't help you. You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> But upstairs, Hutch lines up the first nail, driving it into the Countess's heart. But downstairs, the candles are blown out, and in the darkness, Abigail screams for the Countess to go away. But when the lights return, she finds herself strung up, upside down, and the spirit of the Countess approaches her, drinking Abigail's dripping blood from her fingers. She screams for Hutch, who is driving the second nail into the Countess's neck. When he drives the third nail into her forehead, the Countess's spirit disappears downstairs. In the director's cut, the Countess disrobes, and there is a bathtub there. Okay. And she's about to drain Abigail's blood, much like the rumored... That's the... The alleged. Yeah, that's the iconic visual for her. Right. And so they're recreating it, which is very good for this legend. Mm -hmm. But it's obviously missing from the theatrical. Yeah. Nudity, check. (laughs) (laughs) But upstairs with Hutch... Elizabeth Bathory sits up like the undertaker. (laughs) She stands before him, the nails unwinding from her wounds and dropping to the floor. I loved it. Yeah. That's great. That was. That's the thing is what they nail, no pun intended, (laughs) they nail. That's what makes the rest of it so frustrating. I will say I laughed out loud at the fact that Hutch did this and he's like, well, looks like my job here is done. <laughs> yeah. Like his back is to her. He's fucking like, that's very funny. You've it been was. told twice. <laughs> that's yeah. so funny. The nails honestly kind of remind me of the opening of House on Haunted Hill. Yes. Okay. 1999. Yes. Naturally. The original. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> but in his bag of roses, we see that Hutch also snagged Swink's laptop and he remembers the words from October and Finn. She broke all of the mirrors because she couldn't stand to see herself grow old. And the back of the mirror is made out of polished silver. And in the boldest and funniest bit of product placement I have ever seen, (laughs) Hutch holds the shining Alienware laptop up to Elizabeth Bathory. (laughs) The logo's front and center. I think there was a commercial somewhere there. Yes, and the alien eyes are glowing. Yeah. 
<laughs> so much amazing. power. <laughs> like, hey, like, hey damn, it would make me want to buy an Alienware. I'll Honestly, tell you that much. I think 15 year old me was like, Alienware, you've said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit my own podcast on one of those one day. One day. <laughs> but Elizabeth screams a tortured wail, her mouth elongating and a foul wind rising around Hutch until he finally remembers the last part of the plan. Snagging the lighter from the floor, he lights the room on fire, the flames catching the hem of the countess's dress, and she's promptly engulfed in flames. Unfortunately, Hutch can't break through the door, and after a few futile attempts, he assumes a defeated position on the floor, which match cuts to him as a child, fear in his face and tears in his eyes as his childhood home burns to the ground, much like Elizabeth Bathory's tower is burning right now. But out of nowhere... Swink. Yes. Swink. Hey. He's alive. He bursts through the door with Abigail and protecting Hutch with a section of a rose bush ushers him to safety as the Countess howls overtaken by the raging fire. I almost expected him to have another alien wear like a shield. <laughs> oh, come in my there. God. We all have them. <laughs> but I was like, where have you been? Yeah. And Abigail's like, I'm sorry. I ruined my rose. I was playing with it. <laughs> Uh, this is again I, it, it would make perfect sense if they just found Swink's body on the game without the game over yeah yeah. because we know that he's not dead and if we see him looking dead maybe that's enough mm-hmm. yeah for the fake out that's true yeah but that's there's no rules anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but outside Hutch Abigail and Swink walk through the rows of the cemetery as the tower burns in the background and as they make it through the gate Hutch takes one last look at the tower. But at the video game store, Fidget opens a cardboard box, a shipment of a new title. He surveys the cover, simply remarking, Killer. He walks over to one of the display PlayStation 2 consoles, popping in the disc for Stay Alive. The camera rises to a shelf filled with Game Informer magazines, boasting on the cover the insignia of Elizabeth Bathory's diary with text reading, Stay Alive, A Game to Die For. Above the magazines, a screen turns on, and we once again descend on the Garouge plantation through the gate as a chorus of voices reads the prayer of Elizabeth. The camera on screen barrels over the plantation house and up to the tower, and in the window, the countess stands, presiding over all. So, what did you guys think of Stay Alive? I um I I like a lot of the ideas in the movie. I like what the movie brought. Um I think we're all a little uh bummed at the execution or like how they tried to do it. Mm-hmm. It's um but it it was this was a very I don't want to say it was very super hard to kind of like get a score down for it but i did like a lot of the stuff they did here and it's it's not all bad but i do feel like the the cuts and what they took out and the story and the narrative and then breaking your own rules and just kind of like it was very confusing and then there was times i was just like i don't understand what the fuck's going on i'm Mm -hmm. like this is uh this is all very weird um for me the reveal was very soon like like the i get we got the cold opening and our you know when all that happened yeah and it was like okay cool but now there's no surprise that's it yeah we know what's happening we understand we get it and then it's like okay 
Um, some of the acting was a little cringy. Um, I'll I'll be honest. I I know we don't say that a lot, but this movie was there was some cringe. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the characters seemed pointless. Um, and Abigail. that yeah, yeah, and that is like okay. Why didn't she have something better to do? You know, like I said, I feel like she should have brought the facts mm-hmm. instead of October. You know what I mean? October's already part of the group. She's already there. She's that is her part. She is a friend. Mm-hmm. She is my circle. I don't need a reason for her to be here. That is her reason to be here. What is Abigail's reason to be here? Because, Nothing. But Hutch needs to kiss someone at the end. Yeah. If that's the case, October's right there. Yep. I'm just, but you know what well, I mean? To me, honestly, I, I agree 100%. I think lose Abigail and just have it be that they're a couple, him and October, throughout the whole movie. They've yeah. known each other. Yeah. She greets him almost as if he is her boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. So, I mean, she gets jealous of this situation. It just, I don't know. It just does not work. Yeah. It, it was, it was just kind of all over the place. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand. Um, there's not any real hero moments either. I know dude goes in there and he's like, I'm going to use fire to get back and whatever because he was afraid of it. That never happens. He's like, if I was a little older, whatever, he gets put in that situation mm-hmm. and he crumbles immediately. Yeah. You never overcame your fear. You didn't take it back and use fire to beat this thing. You did and then immediately was like, oh, I regret what I did and then laid on the floor. Your yeah. friends came to save you. That, to me, the message, or if that any of that, it should have been him, I guess, kicking down the door and then there being like rock music behind him or whatever. <laughs> but You know what I mean? He overcame what was bothering him and what they kept showing us through the whole movie. That never fucking happened. No. Then why did you put so much emphasis on him being afraid of fire and all that if he was never going to take the power back? It's just weird. It was just like, I don't understand what you were trying to do here. It's another instance where it feels like they were going somewhere with it and then they just dropped it. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you did. You set up this entire character arc. Yeah. On the basis, and even Abigail saying, no, you're the only one who can. Yes. And then he's like, no, I can't. Yeah. I mean, he lit the match, he but did, that but was then, it. Yeah. Then he was like, okay, I'm going to die with her in here. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Didn't he, look, he... <laughs> He wriggled the knob a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he's, he's like, well, like, I guess well, forget it. Because I'm getting cooked. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even fully turn it all the way. <laughs> yeah. He felt it and he was like, oh, shit. And then <laughs> yeah. that was it. Um, but again, too, I really, really liked the controller responding whenever danger was close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that rumble sound. I did like it. I wish that it was not used more, but I feel like the controller should have been a little more like not that you have to carry the controller around with you but if i'm carrying this fucking giant laptop with me everywhere a controller shouldn't be a problem you (laughs) know what i mean that shouldn't be a problem to have that with you i did really really like that i liked him guiding him through the game yeah that was really cool again i know you said it babe they should have utilized Mm -hmm. it in a better way or whatever and that what it is funny but it was like you want that's what gamers, that's what we fantasize about. You know what yeah. I mean? Or like, oh, what if this was a game? Or what? Like, we always say that. We see uh, a single beam of light on something. Oh, there's a side quest over there. <laughs> yeah. Or there's something hidden there. Mm-hmm. You, like, it does feel like 
they tried to, oh, this is for gamers. Have you ever played a game? I have not. <laughs> then what, why did you, what? Then why is this for gamers if you've never played a game? What? I don't understand. So, oh, me? No. Yeah, yeah. yeah me? No, 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 no. That's childish. What? <laughs> like, I don't understand. On, on commentary, they said that they are gamers, but I feel like there are clear, I don't know, mistakes or yeah. miss, uh, missed opportunities. Right. And the the Silent Hill thing, I know, got it nay. Like it did. <laughs> it did. I just, I know, you know what I mean. It it, it is a good concept. Yes, and I I do like the idea. Um, but I feel like the problem is there's just too many misses. There's not enough hits. Um, I mean, it it is cool. You know what I mean. You do want to show up to the party, but when you show up to the party. And there's like three people there, and then you're like, I don't, I don't know who any of you are. Where's the person who invited me? What the fuck? It's like, no, you just mingle with them. It's like, what? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, all right. I guess. They're chopping nuts in the kitchen. This yeah, is yeah. It's like, I don't know what's happening. Like, I've never been to a party before. No. Is that what they do? They're making cookies. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. 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 But you know what I mean? It is fun. It it is fun. It's a very fun movie. Turn your brain off. Watch it. Just you know what I mean. Uh, with your friends. I don't know if you want to bring your gamer friends to watch this, but <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, but <laughs> it is a fun movie. I definitely agree with that. And I double agree with the sentiment that you need to turn your brain off. Yes. Because if you think too much, th there's just a lot of holes. There's a lot of plot points that just get abandoned. There's a lot of character arcs that just get abandoned. Um, as they're getting out, I'm like, n nobody's thinking about the fact that October is dead. Mm -hmm. um, and you were cradling her and her blood got all over you and your epithelials got all over her and they're already <laughs> looking for you. And I mean, it doesn't look good. Yeah. Well, it's, what are you going to say? And then you've committed arson. You'd have. <laughs> it's just very convenient that we never see Detective Thibodeau again. Yes. Yeah. He's like, well, get out of here, kids. It's like, <laughs> it's just... That whole entire arc led to nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I will say the cop making his own character may make up for that. Because that <laughs> fucking, that was the funniest thing in the world to me. It was. That's the thing too. It's that this movie to me is not good. There's a lot of it that does not work. There's a lot of it that does not make sense. There's a lot that was obviously meddled with. Mm-hmm. That maybe I wouldn't feel this way if they were able to tell the story that they wanted to tell. Okay. But what we were served and what we were given is kind of a mess. Yeah. But there are so many moments that are very cool or very funny, whether intentionally or not, that this is still an enjoyable watch for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's one of those where it's like, yeah, I would definitely for sure tell you to watch Stay Alive. It's not good, yeah. <laughs> but it's fun to me. Right. Um, I just it, it's it's such a mixed bag. Abigail, take her out of it completely. Yeah. Or make her Mary Beth. For yeah. <laughs> that is where I wanted it to go. I thought that that could have been interesting. That would have given her something to do. That makes sense. Why she's skulking around a fucking funeral, being weird. Mm-hmm. That was a dropped ball for me. You're yeah. leading in that direction anyway. Yeah. yeah. With a lot of the choices you've made. And the fact that everybody's being haunted and we have this montage of everybody being affected, not her. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe if you're caught up and you're distracted, you don't really realize that. And then when you go back, you're like, oh my God, she wasn't. 
it's just little shit like that where it's like, man, this this is fun and it's okay. It's not like horrible. It's fine. But yeah. this could have been really fucking good. Yeah. And I think that's what bums me out. And the three of us all game. We yeah. all like it's like we would have been the target audience. And it's just kind of a bummer. Yeah. I will say to speak to that point about her not getting haunted in this montage, mm-hmm. it is something you don't even realize by virtue of them not ingratiating her into the group enough. Yeah. Yeah. Cause until you guys even said that yeah. when we were talking, I was like, Oh shit, she didn't. And it works better if it is some nefarious motive that she has on the outside. Yeah. But when you realize that that's not it, you're like, Oh, you just didn't write her well enough. Yes. Yeah. You didn't give her enough to do. Mm-hmm. And so her character just kind of ends up being a non-issue. Yeah. But he's got to have someone to kiss. He's got to have someone to kiss. <laughs> These are very important things. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, look, I, I agree with both of you. I do feel that the premise and the idea are fantastic. This plan to kind of bring these two worlds together. Yeah. It's a very fascinating concept. I really enjoy the inclusion of Elizabeth Bathory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though they don't get the history right, there is creative license and the ability to kind of do what you want. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like even in doing so, they they kind of drop the ball too. Yeah. yeah. This film needed to be, and I don't say this often because look at Insidious. That's a PG-13 horror movie. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. This film needed to be rated R. It's yeah. all about the story you're trying to tell and the way that you're trying to tell that story. Yes. PG-13 horror can be scary. Absolutely. Absolutely. The way they were telling this, mm-hmm. it really helped. It hindered it. Yeah. And another aspect of it is the matter of these two cuts. Yeah. And so the things that we lose along the way from the director's cut, they do solve some of the difficulties I have with the narrative. Okay. You talk in three scenes about how going to the developer will give you answers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you leave that out of the theatrical cut. (laughs) It makes no sense. And then you kind of ruin your reveal of this being the Garouge Plantation by not letting them go there in the first place. Yeah. yeah. So them having already experienced this location and then it's filled in on their map, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we play games. <laughs> <laughs> they can fast travel to it. Yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> but not having that. And then they just show up here. They just arrive as the first time because of the address that was in Loomis's phone. Like, it's things, and I, I feel again like I nitpick a lot with stuff like this, but I nitpick because it's so easy to solve. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so simple to just connect those dots. And the producers, I don't understand. Leave the scenes in. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I don't know. And the character dynamics too. Yeah. I wonder if they thought that the audience would get lost. Maybe. Because they clearly had a target for this. So... And we talked off mic, but in this theatrical version, did Elizabeth Bathory's spirit come back to life at this location and then just start developing a video game <laughs> in a room yeah. with, hey. with things that she remembers? Yeah, hey, that's what I thought on the cool. You know, you because it's not told in the theatrical no, version. No, no, that's not. that's We're what. Just seeing yeah, shit. yeah. And look, I again with all the nitpicking and everything that I've said. I will watch this tomorrow. Yeah. Like I, I enjoy watching this movie for the fun that it is. 
Okay. It's a fun film that I have a lot of nostalgia for. Yeah. But I also have a lot of issues with it. Mm. And I didn't have those issues when I was younger watching it. Of course. But critiquing it and trying to figure out what worked and what didn't, trying to make things that didn't work actually work. Yeah. I feel like it kind of puts you in the mind of, you know, what? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. (laughs) Hutch is hinging his entire theory on knowledge that he doesn't have. He never saw Loomis's body in the game or Sarah and Rex. Right. Abigail is here because her friend Sarah was killed, but she's at Loomis's funeral mm-hmm. meeting Hutch for why. Yeah. And she never brings up Sarah again. That. No. So it's it's yeah. just like these are such small things and maybe it is the tampering at the end, this meddling. Yeah. That kind of muddies the waters a little bit. Or it could just be the script needed another rewrite. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. Because what we get, at least in the theatrical version, it doesn't gel. Which is really weird because I get the unrated or uncut versions usually have a little extra. But it seems like that version has a lot of the answers. <laughs> yeah. Not just uh, uncut, too gory, whatever, too naked, whatever. It's, <laughs> check. Yeah, 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 yeah. check. It, it's literally answers to what everyone's asking while they're watching this movie. Yeah. Like, it's not like it's too much or it's something extra or special or whatever. It's, it's literally just a scene that we need to make sense of a cut that you made that makes no sense now. When I started watching the director's cut and the, you see Loomis and he discovers Sarah and Rex. Yeah. And you see that it lingers more and there's more gore. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. But then when you see an entire subplot, like you're saying, that's that's wild. It yeah. Is. And changing the character. You're like, you know what? October doesn't say anything about Elizabeth. <laughs> she doesn't read any of that. She maybe finds it later, but we find out through the author and the creator of the game. Yeah. Which is way more. I just, yes. Yeah. yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't know. And I do really enjoy this movie and I do enjoy watching it, but there's just so many issues that I have with it. Yeah. But I guess that can lead us into ratings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's a difficult one, folks. Yeah. I think we've spoken our minds about the things that didn't work. Yeah. yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit about the things that did. I, of course, as I mentioned, really appreciate the premise and the idea. Yeah. I love this inclusion of Elizabeth Bathory and the legend they're in. Mm-hmm. I like these match cuts between the video game and reality. Yeah. I like the concept of kind of a Freddy Krueger situation. Yeah. yeah. It happens in this imaginary place. It happens in real life. Yeah. That's very cool. I just, I mean, it's just the marriage of the narrative, especially towards that third act. Yeah. And the inclusion of a character who could have stayed home. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just, I don't know. And, but the thing is, is that I still really enjoy watching it. I will watch this. I will have fun with it the next time I watch it. Mm. It is exactly as we said, you can't think about it. Yeah. You can't try to piece together this narrative logically. Right. There's an entire subplot that does end up in both films with Detective Thibodeau that doesn't have any resolution. (laughs) No. There's nothing where he finally realizes, oh, shit, Hutch was telling the truth. Yeah. Or anything. I mean, any film you think about where there is some kind of a cop presence who is disbelieving at the start. Yeah. They either end up got or they end up part of the crew. Yeah. Yeah. He just disappears yeah. <laughs> after reading uh, October's research that was misspelled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, I mean, I don't know. It's just very, just dropped ball. 
but I do like a lot of it. Yeah. And so it really is a very difficult thing, but I feel like I would just continue rambling things that I've said already. Yeah. Restating things that you've both mentioned. So I think I'm just going to cut to the chase and out of 10 resourceful red roses, you know what? I'm not going to cut to the chase. I'm going to use a cheat code to get to the last level. (laughs) (laughs) Out of 10 resourceful red roses, I am going to give, look, I was, <laughs> I was going to give Stay Alive a 5 out of 10, mm-hmm. but there is a level of nostalgia for it that reminds me of watching it when I was a teenager. Okay. And it does kind of give you that feeling of being that age, re-watching it, and kind of being, I don't know, you're impressed by it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because watching it for the show, I don't get that when I'm having to dissect it. Yeah. But if I were to just sit down and watch this tonight, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I'm going to bump it up just a little bit. And out of 10 resourceful, resourceful is the word. (laughs) (laughs) Red roses. I'm going to give stay alive 5.5 out of 10 resourceful red roses. I'm probably going to watch this very soon. We bought it and we have it. So let's (laughs) (laughs) let's get our money's worth, but I'm going to now open the floor up to you. I think that's fair. I um I've I never seen this movie. Um watching it, I do want to watch the uncut version. Okay. Cuz I feel like that might make it more a little more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um but I I mean you're right. Everything is cool. We should be like this is a fucking shit. But it is I think it is a lot of meddling like you said that kind of neutered the punch that this film has. And that really sucks because it should be all cool and for uh, quote unquote gamers or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, even that, even if it's for that certain group, Mm -hmm. we're, I know we don't speak for all gamers, but all three of us, hell T, you worked on a game. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? We've, we're looking at this from not only people who have experience working on them, people who play them constantly, who always advocate and whatever. And it's like, okay, if this what you thought I wanted, dude, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to break it to you, but it's not. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, but I do, I think you're right. And even I don't have that nostalgia, but it is fun and watching it, turning your brain off and just watching it. And then, you know what I mean? Whatever, uh, smoking a fat one or whatever. And just being like, Oh dude, this dude, you know what I mean? But the uncut version, because I feel like if we're watching the theatrical, it's just probably going to piss you off because you're going to get confused. And then what, and then it's like, what the fuck is this? Mm -hmm. Um, so, but, and again, Liam McPoyle, goddamn. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Um, so for me, uh, uh, I also, on a scale from one to 10, resourceful red roses. You got it. I'm going to give Stay Alive a 5.5. 5. Uh, that 0.5 is for the cool game stuff and McPoyle. You know what I mean? It's not, again, I want to stay in the middle and I don't want to make it seem like it is low just to be like, that's a low score. I want to make it clear I'm staying in the middle because I don't hate the movie. I just don't like what they did to it because Mm -hmm. there is a lot of cool stuff in here. The idea is really cool and it does sound like the uncut version or the unrated version is the superior version. I would probably bump it up to a six with the uh, unrated. If we, it was that one that we covered. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, I agree with both of y'all. Um, it's just wild. 
and we were talking off mic and it was like there's there's so much good and there's so much not good like it really makes it difficult but i do appreciate them telling this story in a new way Mm -hmm. it is very freddy krueger like you said but it's kind of taking it to a different level Mm -hmm. yeah level Ah, um (laughs) it's it's fun it's just you cannot look too closely i'm definitely the next time i watch it going to watch that unrated version yeah because man um man (laughs) and i do want to make mention we typically will really always cover the theatrical version of the film yes Mm -hmm. because it's the one that's the most readily available correct yeah this unrated version if i'm not mistaken was available when it was released on dvd but you go to rent it anywhere, it's going to be the theatrical version. Yeah. Um, I also sat down with the five, but I think that I am going to agree with you both. There is just a little bit of, I don't, I don't know if magic is the right word, but just there's a little something special about this. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like, even though I'm mad at you, <laughs> I'm going to get over it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to stay mad. Plus, I do want to give a little extra for them making the decision to let uh, Miss Thing keep her wig on because I don't think I would have been able to take it. Um, (laughs) So I am going to ditch my hyper blaster and Uh, go to ratings on a scale from one to ten resourceful red roses. You got it. I'm also going to give Stay Alive 5.5 out of 10. Um, This was wild. Yeah. So should we do like the Pac-Man noise when he dies now? Or we're like, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Stay Alive and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like our Stairhole Productions page on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Thanks again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Please consider pledging to our Patreon, where you can get bonus content like The Corner of Creep and No Sleep, where we read and riff on creepypastas and Reddit No Sleeps, and Talk Mortem, the show where we answer your questions and take on random topics. Stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Gitter patrons. And remember, while there isn't a problem with curiosity, play around with the wrong things and it just might be game over. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our Wendigo Gitter patrons. Woo! Yeah! Very good. A special thank you to... Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggy, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montavo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, 
Livy Fun, Scott Troutman Wise, Talton Watson, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Kyle OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Higuera, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Megan M, Strangely Sarah, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanavan, Katie K, Erica Morin, Cameron S, Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A, Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E, Maggie H, Fernando Dominguez, Murder Stina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McGonigal, Kristen Marcy, Ori81 Bariqua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Felnez 63, Alita Pui, Probably My Jugs, Kate Thackeray, Wade Pack, A Lizard, Bay J, Jay Rich, Jen Lassiter, Topher Williams, Elena Mettler, Neil Chesson, Valerie Kay, Christy Lee Kruger, Professor of Humanities, Laura McCarricker, Naomi, Josh Smith, Autumn Green, Heather Santayano, Abby Kopp, Crystal 831, Cassidy Carruthers, Skank Sinatra, Morgan Alexander, Tony Osteen, Julie Fredborg, Rihanna S., Daniel Taylor, Anna Kate, Heather Ortiz, Jen T., Kim H., August, Vengeance Spirit, Sam J. Green, Kelly Glazy Face Mac, Jenny May, Zoe Marie, Glittery Fab, Malik Caselli Armstrong, Scarly D, Toya Shea, Katie, Martin Shaw, Star, Suzanne Vanderbeek, Tyler J, Daniel Dickerson, Jordan Gaddis, Cam Davies, Tanya Selvog, and Patrick Hoagland. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank each and every one of you. We appreciate you all so much. And we just have to say, your support for us is on another level. Aww, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like in a game. Like, yeah, yeah. the video game. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>